Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. This is the Hagen Report for today. It is Tuesday, May 1st, 2018. Can you believe that? May 1st, May Day. A lot of connotations, interesting connotations with the first day of May and uh, May Day. Of course, the, uh, the, uh, obviously the communist, uh, celebrations. And we see that, uh, among the, you know, workers world socialists or workers socialist world party. Uh, we see this, uh, this, uh, very interesting times, of course, in which we live. I want to welcome everyone to tonight's program. I've uh, got a great show lined up for you tonight. About in the hour, we're going to be talking with a gentleman, this is Captain Roy on Reddit, uh, Roy Davis. He's going to be talking about a number of issues. And what we're doing here, just so everyone really understands, is you know, now Roy's got uh, a lot of good, I mean, he's, his background, you got to understand who this gentleman is. Uh, he's, he's able to, to really sift through intelligence and data and do a lot of great research and then call research from other investigative journalists or citizen uh, investigators should I say posters for example on reddit and other forums and cultivate all of that information and uh, kind of give us a barometer reading of where we're at so we're tapping into a lot more of the uh, the people you know there, there there's a group of people out there when I say group, I guess a, a, a spectrum of people who do a whole lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of independent research. They get neither credit nor they get any avenue or outlet to to spew forth the information that they have uncovered. Think about think about it this way: where would uh, where would where would we all be if someone like uh, uh, Tracy Beans, for example, did not have a, an outlet, or Laura Loomer, or you know, you could even take it a, a bit higher. Project Veritas, okay, they've got the wherewithal and they've got the uh, the platform, obviously, to get the information out. But what if he didn't have that? What if he had the information but no way to get it out? So we're, we're reaching into the community, and I think uh, I think it's a it's a good plan, and of course. Coming out of the gate is going to be Roy Davis, and I've I've uh, I've watched his postings and I've looked at his research. Look, folks, uh, we need to be informed. We need to kind of see what what everything how everything is playing out. And I think that uh, a key to this is uh, people like him. And then at the top of the next hour, we've got Brandon House, and then of course closing it out is Stan Dale in hour number three. So it's really kind of a good, uh, solid program. And up for you. Today, May 1st, obviously uh, a lot of significant history. Uh, that's one of the things Brandon, Brandon House is going to come talk about is the communist infiltration of the church. And today on May 1st, which is uh, a communist, uh, what the International Work Day, uh, International Workers Day, uh, we on the Daily Show went over some of the history of the ties between the, the communist uh, and socialist ideologies in today and also it 1776, May 1st, was the founding of Adam Weishaupt's of the Illuminati. A lot of significant history on this day. Yeah, absolutely. And it ties all into communism. It ties into, it goes a lot further than that if you're going back to 1776. 
with the founding of the Illuminati today. There's obviously some ancient, maybe even biblical, uh, reasons that this oh, date I, is so I, important. I, I think there's a lot of historical significance, as you pointed out. Uh, but how many people, how many normal, and I'll put that in quotation marks, air quotes, how many normal people really know uh, of the history? Uh, my goodness, most, again, in air quotes, normal people, or the average person, uh, they're not taught um, uh, civics anymore. They're taught social studies. And, and isn't it interesting how words mean things? They're not taught. They're not talk, taught um, about our constitution in America, our set, our three branches of, of government, the separation of powers, the founding of our country. No, they're taught social studies. Re, re, remember, growing up, people my age, you had reading, writing. And arithmetic, right? Well, or, or you had history, but now it morphed. It went from history to civics to, to social studies, which is it wraps up pretty much all history and government topics. I do remember in high school we had an ethics class. Sure, and, and but and you know history, the 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 rubber band of ethics. History was wrapped up in the whole social studies banner, and then of course. same thing with the gov- with government and uh, current affairs and, and politics. All that was under the social studies banner yeah. and it was all you know learning from written textbooks and what they and you see today the the textbooks that are coming out that um anymore are just off the rails with with what they they use all this pc language they're changing history they're doing all these things to throw their ideology out there rather than the actual historical uh, record of what happened exactly and these are huge problems and they're getting worse and worse as time goes forward and okay, so that brings us to the headlines of today. And one of the things I wanted just to touch on very, very, very pointedly and very specifically, a big news headline, of course, the special counsel's questions leaked. Now here's okay. Before you now here is here's my thought on this. You know, pull the lens back a little bit. Then everyone just think about this for a second. Who benefits? When when I worked investigations and especially high profile investigations and and, and worked for I had one chance I, there was one opportunity I had and believe me I, I was not a police officer I was never a commissioned police officer but I did have an opportunity to work closely with police and there was a one the, I remember one specific case where uh, and it was it was a homicide case and the it was a high profile homicide case. Believe it or not, that wasn't that that wasn't the big thing. The big thing was information about this case was leaked out, for, and it had to be somebody within this small group of people. Of course, they looked at me like you know, because I'm an outsider. You talking to the press? No, of course not. But it was interesting because, and, and I sat back and I watched this more as a spectator. And by the way, after the leaks, um, they they took all support personnel. And including me, cut cut me out of the you know, loop and everything, which was fine, and I understood that. But but here, the reason I mention that is because when it was all said and done, the leaks were not coming from the police department. So, and it, it was a if I had the time, I would I would tell you the story because it's really an intriguing story. But here's what I'm looking at, and, and Joe, you feel free. Uh, but but look. The, the questions were leaked, these alleged questions broken down into four different sections or multiple sections. 
very specific questions to Sessions, to to others, uh, or about Sessions, about Rosenstein, about Comey, and about Russian leaks, or about Russian uh, collusion. But they were leaked to the New York Times. Okay, now, who benefits from this? And I guess let's discuss this. Who benefits from this? Because I've got, I've got, I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. Well, you know, that's a, a good question. I don't know. Does the special counsel benefit in having the, the questions leak? Does the president benefit in getting to see the questions early? There are already some reporters who are saying that, uh, from, and this is a headline on Drudge, from the grammar, they right. think that okay. those were, uh, Mueller's former assistant says the grammatical errors prove that these notes questions. from the White House right. that Trump or somebody in the White House right. under Trump's, uh, leadership leaked out there, which I don't know that to be true either. I mean, I, I don't know. All right. And, and so who does benefit? Well, okay. A couple, actually, actually Donald Trump does benefit from this. Uh, it depends on, <laughs> and that's, that's the thing. It depends on how you look at it. If you are a real pro-Trump guy, you know, or, or lady, and believe 100% everything that Donald Trump and his team, notice I said, and his team or support personnel do, then obviously it would become from the Mueller camp. But if you're just objective, uh, it's very possible that this leak could have come from within the Trump organization. And I'm not, I'm not saying Donald Trump himself, I'm saying uh, within the Trump organization, but but stop right there because I'm not saying that, and I don't believe that to be the case. Here's what I think is taking place: two words, misdirected attribution. Remember back in the 2016, the run-up to the election, obviously in 2016, you had a series of computer intrusions, supposedly cozy bear and Russian intrusions. Well, what was that all about? That was misdirected attribution at its core to make it look like, in some cases, that some of these hacks were done by the Russians. And we know through Vault 7 and the right. dumps by WikiLeaks that you can have uh, people who are hacking that it is made to look like it comes from somewhere. It's almost like a, a false flag cyber attack uh, where I could do sitting from my computer right here making it look like Russia is hacking the DNC. Okay. So they right. can do that. And, and, and th- think about the attorneys for, uh, um, the, the, uh, Bakers, right? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Jared and Elizabeth. Um, it's not their last name. Jared and Elizabeth. The lawyers? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Too. Somebody in the chat, because uh, I, I do have a chat up here. Anyway. Beck? Re- re- no. Beck, Beck, okay. right. So they, they received a phone call that the, voice was digitally allegedly digitally manipulated correct all right but whoever made the call supposedly allegedly forgot to mask the number does that happen yeah i yeah, i've seen criminals do i've seen people make stupid mistakes all right like leaving a handkerchief no nah, never mind but no i've seen some people make some stupid mistakes so i i, I guess i'm looking at this and and I'm seeing something much larger happen. Uh, if the presence of the special, or the, the presence of the independent, uh, or the uh, Inspector General Horowitz, if that if, if that report wasn't coming out, and the um, the fact that you've got John John Huber working with with the uh, independent uh, or the Inspector General, if that wasn't due to come out real soon, I would look at this a little bit differently. 
And if the Mueller investigation was a lot stronger than what it is right now, I would look at this leak a little bit differently. But consider in the first 126, the 125, or 126 days of the Donald Trump uh, uh, presidency, you had 126 leaks. And not all from within the administration. In fact, those leaking within the administration were members of the deep state attempting to subvert the agenda of Donald Trump. So I don't want to confuse anyone. All I'm just saying is this. I don't believe, when you look at this, I don't believe that Donald Trump at this moment in time would have anything to gain by these leaks coming out. Now, could I be wrong? I'm sure I could be wrong. But for the Mueller's assistant to immediately say, look, look at the grammar, look at the mistakes. And by the way, if you're going to type up questions, uh, you're unless this is a first draft, uh, you know, midnight kind of burning the midnight oil and having some uh, sangria, you know, Lisa Page, Peter Strzok style, you're going to be making sure the grammar and, and such, the questions are accurate for, if not for, just for for normal sake, but for history's sake. It wasn't the case. So I would urge everyone before they jump to the... And by the way, is this a real leak and a fake news story, or is this a fake leak and a real news story? It's a good question. And, uh, you know, I didn't really spend too much time on this. I, I read through a few of the stories today, but all in all, at this point, hey, people wait, wait, wait a minute, I try to be funny. I, I, mean, I am funny. Come on. I'm hit, and smart miss, hit and miss. I know. I know. But does anybody even care at this point? We've seen everybody understands that this whole investigation was started by a political coup, an attempted political coup, to protect Hillary Clinton and, and sabotage Donald Trump. So at this point, even if Trump himself leaked them to the media, does anybody even care? I think people just want to see this come to an end. I don't think, you know, these these details of, of what these questions are and, uh, you know, Trump tweeting out, it's a disgrace today. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes for a nice, uh, you know, soundbite on, uh, on a news uh, reel. But what does this really mean? And I think you uh, went, went through this just now in a way that gives us some insight. But all in all, what does this add or take away from the investigation? How will this help it move along? If at all. And, uh, you know, that's the real question here. When is this going to come to an end? I, I guess the next piece of this puzzle is the upcoming OIG report that's supposed to be released. What, in this week, next week? Well, it's sometime in May. And do not, by the way, folks, I, I've gotten a lot of emails saying, well, they have to release, or the IG's got to release report four times a, uh, a year. And uh, no, 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 no. They've got to release an audit four times a year. This is a special investigation, so there's no set date. We we thought right after. I mean, re- remember we thought early last or the end of last year, and then early this year, and we thought, oh, maybe in February, and then March, then April, then who knows? And uh, but but everything I've seen now looks like sometime between now and the middle of May. I mean, maybe at the at the outside the uh, t- toward the third week of May, but I don't know. I don't have any source. I can't. I can't call up somebody from the uh, IG's office and say, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" You know. Uh, think think about it this way as well. They've gone over millions of documents, and the information that they're getting from even the additional information that they're getting, the actual authenticated uh, text messages, the struck page page messages, and such uh, that that which were never, by the way, those those they were never missing. 
uh, but we, you go through a million pages of documentation. It takes a while. Now, uh, the IG's got the staff, and he's got the, the prosecu- uh, prosecution ability there, too. So, uh, plus you've got people still, and this is the other part of this as well, that this all fits together with the, with what, I, what I'm looking at as the leaks. I think you got to look a little bit deeper. And I'm not talking about 4D chess or 3D chess. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about look a little bit deeper uh, under the surface of how things are playing out. When you've got um, uh, when you've got this push to unseat Donald Trump, and you then you've got which is a coup. I think everyone could, could would, would agree with that, except the progressive liberal lobotomized liberals. Um, there's a lot on the line. So why would Donald Trump, knowing that, because he's not stupid, why, knowing that, why would he allow, for example, the employments of four or five people with security clearances? Why, why would he allow them to remain? And I think you could turn to websites such as Conservative Treehouse, which Lou Dobbs mentioned last night or the night before. And uh, you can you can look at the timeline, the historical context of everything that we're seeing, and they're keeping them around to, to say, you know what, you're going to cooperate with us, and that's what they're doing. They've got them. Um, they're they're flipping the the I believe cooperating witnesses witnesses include Struck and Page and and Prestep and anyone who's still working administratively and I think the the prosecutor for the IG is going after the, the McCabe's and even the Comeys to some extent um, and, I, and Comey by the way and I said on my morning show today uh, the, the best thing he can do the best thing he can do for, for President Donald Trump is just keep talking. Just keep talking. Don't do not, folks. Don't let anyone stop them. Just keep talking. Um, so, but all of this, none of this. I think that if you, to those people older that I'm speaking to right now, if you've got a copy of the presidential papers, the book presidential papers, it was a dull book, cost two dollars. This published, I think, back in '74, '75, when all the presidents' men came out. But it's actually transcripts of the Nixon, the Watergate tapes. Read the the the, the um, read the uh, po- uh, stories by the Washington Post at that time, by by the two uh, crack reporters, and what we're seeing today, I think, mimics the style, except it's the the, the whole plot's reversed. Um, but but having said that, I just want to just look. It's bigger than what that what people know, and I do believe that uh, that this leak is going to. I, I really think that. You're, you're going to find out the leak is going to. They're not going to be able to keep contain who leaked this. I think that the special counsel is going to go after the. Uh, where is it? Like New York Times, right? So yeah, New sure. York Times. I, I think I think that there are going to be some subpoenas flying here in the next uh, 24 to 36 hours. So you're th- you're thinking that the Mueller team is working under the impression that this was directly uh, done by Trump or a Trump. Yep. Uh, okay. Or at least that's the way it's going to be portrayed. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so say that the they uh, put the paper trail. They're able, they are able to trail this leak back to the person who leaked it. Say it's a White House aide or someone inside Trump's inner circle. Can that be used as a obstruction of justice? Sure. Well, tampering Would that be a legitimate witness. witness? Well, I mean, there could be a lot of charges, but here's the problem with this. When, you, especially in the news today, when you've got the ability. For people to create videos that are totally fictitious, I don't know if you saw that headline. Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, you, you've got this. Y- y- people better be careful before they say, "Okay, he did leak it, or she did leak it, or they did leak it," um, because again, you've got 
abilities beyond what we know. Plus, and of course I'm talking about government abilities. And then think back at Cheryl Atkinson, the reporter for CBS, how the FBI actually planted documents on her hard drive in her computer. This is verified uh, when she was working on the Benghazi story. So wouldn't it be something if all of a sudden you opened up your computer and just then the knock on the door and the FBI is there and want to see your computer and lo and behold there's there's a uh, an email or a copy of the questions on your on your hard drive uh, assuming of course you're you're affiliated with with what's going on in DC inside the swamp so all, all, all I said all of that to say this don't make any don't react to what what you're seeing uh be pay very close attention and we're going to ask Roy about this too what he thinks uh, I, I think that there's I think this is going to be a big story a big story well it definitely has the uh especially if it was leaked by the White House then yeah that it's going to turn into a much bigger story also while we're talking about Robert Mueller there's two pieces of of information that are worth noting today one uh the Michael Flynn sentencing has been delayed for a second time and I have not read the articles. I just saw that come across my, my screen here just a little bit ago. And many people like Tracy Beans and others were speculating as to why it was delayed the first time, thinking that it had something to do with the uh, 302s that Peter Strauch and McCabe possibly doctored. But either way, we're gonna, we'll, we'll ask Roy that also. And Rod Rosenstein has been making the news. He calls today for an impeachment effort against him, which it amounts to extortion, and he says he will not be extorted. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein Tuesday compared articles of impeachment drafted against him by members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus to an extortion attempt. There have been people who have been making threats privately and publicly, publicly against me for quite some time, and I think they should understand the Department of Justice is not going to be extorted. He said, speaking of the uh, Newseum's Law Day event. We are going to do what is required by the rule of law, and any kind of threats anybody makes is not going to affect the way we do our job. Now, uh, this is in response to eight articles of impeachment that have been drafted against Mr. Rosenstein. As multiple media outlets reported Friday, it was drafted by North Carolina Republican Mark Meadows, who chairs the House Freedom Caucus. So, uh, the impeachment states that Rosenstein failed to enforce multiple laws, including improper authorization of a series of electronic surveillance under FISA and failing to act on behalf of the Attorney General by failing to demonstrate probable cause to believe the targets of surveillance were a foreign power or agents of a foreign power. You can read more there on the Washington Post and also on Hagman Report. We have several articles uh, that are uh, dealing with the, the Mueller probe today and Rod Rosenstein. I think there's at least three of them up there as I can't get to the site. But either way, a lot going on with the uh, special counsel. And you see, uh, we talked with Alicia Powell, Alicia Powell last week, and she talked about the importance of the 2018 midterm elections and what the Republican congressman's messages should be and how that uh, this Trump-Russia Mueller probe is something that you know some Republicans are going to be able to to use as as uh, a campaign slogan to, for them to get in a campaign argument for right. them to get in, right. but also that you know there's going to have to be other uh, congressmen who um, you know aren't really associated with Trump. And she talked about this call for unity inside the Republican Party, which we definitely don't have now. And the, the only reason I brought that up 
was to, to say that the 2018 midterm election, how much of that is going to, how many people are going to be voting, not based on party affiliation or, or for the better of the country, but how many people are going to be voting based on their belief, their, their faith in Donald Trump? And is that a good idea? And at this point, I still say yes, it, it is a good idea. If you believe, if you're going to vote on party lines based on the belief that if the left gets into power, and when they do, they're going to attempt to impeach President Trump. And you like what he's doing. You like the agenda. Uh, you, you like what he has done so far, his accomplishments, even in the face of all this opposition and backlash. Mm-hmm. Then should you vote along party lines? That is, uh, you know, one of the big questions that we're going to see coming up. And, and Horowitz talked about it last week. Alicia Powell talked about it last week. And, uh, moving forward, we, we're going to have Michael Snyder on. He's running as a Congress, uh, in Idaho, which is primaries coming up in just a few weeks. But should people in the 2018 midterm elections vote along party lines, and would that restore any unity in the Republican Party if they were to maintain power in the House and in the Senate? But either way, well, uh, no, that's you just, know, uh, they're going to have to. I, I think people are going to need to vote for the person. But yeah. I, I can't see on any any Democratic ticket uh, anyone redeemable, in my view. Uh, frankly, if you adhere to the democratic ideology, you're, you're adhering to that, that, that minimum of socialist ideology. By the way, uh, I did report that in total, uh, right now there are 90, or over, actually a little over 90 Muslims running for various offices across the United States. We're in- talking local and county and state and federal. Interesting. And, and uh, we already know, we know that there's, there's two confirmed, obviously confirmed, um, Muslims in Congress, but we're, we're, we gotta keep our eye on that too. Um, but in, in, drawing back to the election for 2016, it's, you got Pelosi saying, I will be speaker again, yeah. of course, and so, so there's this confidence and hubris. Would the left even want um, Pelosi back as speaker if they well, won yeah, the majority of the House back? That's a, a question for, for a whole nother segment. But the 2018 midterm elections is going to really define the Trump administration. And if we're not, everybody should go candidate by candidate. Which one is going to do the best job for their region and for uh, the representation nationally? Yep. But should we vote just on party lines? I can't ever agree with that. But that's the argument many people are making. So we'll continue to talk about that, uh, I'm sure, many times throughout the next few months in the run-up to the midterm elections that are happening this year. But when we come back, we're going to be joined by Captain Roy. Captain Roy. He is a very popular Reddit user, and he's going to share his insight as to what's going on in Washington, D.C. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is the Hagler Report for today. It's uh, Tuesday, May 1st, 2018. You know, as we look at the headlines and we look at the people out there parsing the headlines and parsing the news and pieces of news information, uh, I like to look at uh, various posters and, and forums. and You end up cultivating a lot of good information. There's a lot of talented people out there posting information to places like Reddit and such where the the they go well beyond the headlines and and they're talented researchers they've got the background for research and such and one such gentleman is is uh goes by the name of captain roy d and uh again captain roy and then the and the uh, letter d 
on Reddit. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been following his postings and, and his interest in this work and his findings. And a lot of times, as I said at the opening, a lot of times, you know, people, uh, who actually have a lot of knowledge and have done a lot of research, they're vastly underpaid and vastly under, they're not paid at all, or they're vastly uh, underappreciated and underreported. And so when you tap into that, I think it's a mistake that, that, that a lot of venues don't tap into the investigative findings of people such as Captain Roy D. So with that, I want to bring him on. Captain Roy D. from Reddit, uh, how are you doing, sir? Real good. Thank you, Doug. Good, good evening, Joe. Appreciate being on this evening. Well, thanks for coming on on short notice, brother. You know, it's uh, look, I, I know that yeah, we uh, – it, it's like uh, hurry up and wait like in the Army, and then all of a sudden, bang, you know. Uh, well, when I was talking to, to John, we were just starting with the Dr. Corsi. It was so good. I have some breaking news when we get to it, but it was about some posts and about the Syria and Iranian conflict. So we have some new news today. So, Well, okay. You know what? Uh, why don't we uh, – so Syria – the Iranian Syria situation. You you want to you want to start there because we, we we you know what we could talk all night. I'm sure based on your. <laughs> well, this is just breaking because as you know, and and you you mentioned and had him on many many times. Uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi uh, is a uh, kind of spearhead the the process of, uh, and, and you've mentioned. I'm sure your audience is familiar with the QAnon. Right. Uh, dropping of information on the uh, the Chan boards, HN and, and uh, originally 4chan. But uh, what we do is consolidate that information. Uh, Dr. Corsi and the team lead the decodes, and then a group of us put the articles together. And really, that's from our articles. It, it really stems out, and people use that and post to repost what we put. It's kind of a, a uh, assembly line, if you would, Doug. They, then they'll post that on Facebook. They'll put it out on Twitter. They'll take parts of our stories. So. I just yeah. kind of consolidate these stories, but the uh, the uh, the uh, very interesting what's come out uh, as far as the, re- the most recent key drops as far as the Middle East. Yeah, you know, look, a lot of people are not certain about Q, about the legitimacy of of the QAnon. Uh, you know, uh, a lot, rightfully so. There's got to be, I think, a healthy level of skepticism is, is always appreciated when you're conducting investigations. But, but no doubt. now let me ask you though, um, uh, and in my conversations with Dr. Corsi and others, they believe that Q is a legitimate source and, in fact, military intelligence and and um, you know, plugged in and working for the good guys. What do you think? I mean, is that your One, opinion as well? One hundred percent. I couldn't agree with Dr. Corsi uh, more. And, and the phenomenon is actually growing and expanding. And what happens in the past, and you've seen this the years you've you've been around yourself, Doug, is that you'll have uh, people. A lot of people pretended they thought this was a LARP or a pretend person trying to put out information and you know being a, on top of it. But that you, you can't predict for months on end, and certainly you can't have high level intelligence that comes true. Uh, right. Just recently, the, the 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 first bit of information came out about. You were talking about this this, this morning, I believe, was about the the phantom or the shadow draft folders that exist in uh, uh, you know Gmail, Yahoo right. Mail, different uh, Hotmail accounts. Is that that originally started dropping through the Q uh, spectrum and filtered back on out? Wow. So. Okay. A lot of times, they just as we're just a bit ahead of the news, and a lot of times, just do the same thing with tracing that laptop uh, with the Wiener laptop. Is that that was 
dropped and, and, and done in conjunction right with that report and said, look in this direction, and that's what set everybody off in the right area. Just the same principle, and you've explained it with a deep throat, is not giving us the classified information but pointing us in the right direction. And is that the intent? Uh, because why not have, if this person is high up and he's got the information, why not just spill the beans? Why go through the whole process? Well, it defeats the purpose of filtering out the corruption to wrongs don't make a right. That, you know, the surveillance and the abuse of the deep state is what we're kind of fighting it. And so we're trying to do it uh, the, the, the correct way and, uh, you know, do it, uh, you know, and, and it can be done this way. Okay. <laughs> it can be right. done this way. And, and by the way, Roy, just to make sure, uh, the folks were talking with Captain Roy D. And, uh, he, he's a, uh, poster on, on Reddit and a very good researcher, in my view. And, and he now, his analysis of information is pretty spot on, I believe. Um, vastly underpaid, underappreciated, and, and certainly, you know, we're, we're, we're <laughs> his movement's all volunteer. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so the, the purpose, and I, the reason I mention this is because we're going to have you back on. Uh, this is kind of like an introduction. Little, you know, let's get to know one another. But, but you mentioned some breaking news. If you want to, uh, yeah, if you want to get into yeah, that, go ahead. because this is this is see, this is the way that, that a lot of this works. Is that uh, uh, we're all familiar with recent strikes in Syria hitting the Iranian bases and such. Uh, what, what's recently come out, and, and this is the way key does, you know, teases and leads us in the right direction. And it was a simple little thing: was you, you won which obviously is the right uranium one, and your listeners will know the background on that. And then some of all fears. A lot of times Q will use examples of movies to kind of give us a backdrop or a picture of the, the, the theory, the frame, framework that he's trying to set. But this one was like spot on and just says you don't have to look deep because what they're getting at is from the uranium sales and the lost yellow cakes is that, we tracked it as far as what going from the U.S. to Canada to Europe, and then it kind of went the, the trail went cold. He, he was giving us another theory or leading us on is that under the same assumption of the movie, movie from some of Clancy's movie from some of all fears is that these yellow cakes ended up back in Iran and back in Syria, and were going to be used potentially as a false flag to start who knows what. <laughs> right. Okay. So oh, all right. Under that. Of, of, because in the, in the sum of all fears, that the initial uh, uranium for the bomb came out of North Carolina and eventually was used, uh, you know, to blow up the stadium and uh, in a false flag attempt to start World War Three. Right. It, it, it seemed to me, by the way, just as an aside, Q's got um, certainly a, a film buff, or he's kind of a film buff. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well it seen. makes it easier on this. You don't have to go so deep is that that theory is that that uh, and potentially why these bases, and you hit on this before, that it was an opportune time to hit bases that were planned, <laughs> strike, right. the strike package that was pre-planned, and certainly that was in at around about two on the board. Uh, well, you, know, you know, it's interesting you brought up Syria and, and Iran, and I haven't seen much about the strike, the Israeli strike, or the strike being attributed to Israel in the in Syria, the southern Syria, that caused a 2.6 mag, magnitude earthquake. I mean, that's what that's, that's what that's what the, the as far as the board side from Q that was dropped last week, and a lot of people thought that the Moab was going to be for an uh, in, in intel or informational document drop, either the the FBI Lovers Texas or uh, Horowitz's IG report. That's what a lot of people were anticipating with this, uh, you know, from our end as far as an anticipation of 
Moab, but in fact, I, I believe, in fact, it was the real Moab that, that, that did that because they certainly wouldn't have done a, a, a nuclear blast. And from reports, I think you even mentioned something about the mushroom cloud. Right. Um, uh, I, I, <laughs> I witnessed in 03 the first Moab explosion down at Eglin Air Force Base, and I saw a mushroom cloud from that first one personally. And uh, certainly if that's what they hit with ordnance already in the ground, that could have caused the damage that everybody's reporting, but short of new. Right, right. So certainly that's going to leave a mark or did leave a mark. Wow. Yeah. All right. Do we, we cover that sufficiently, or is there more that we need to talk about with respect to this, the new information or information, or was that sufficient uh, so far? Well, that's, that's just what was broke last night and what is the direction, and, of course, it's probably uh, future crews past is that it, you're going to have to go and inspect the sites or whatever, find out what, what was involved, and maybe the yelling the case yet to surface, this may be part of what uh, they're looking at as the next phase with uh, with Iran itself. Okay. All right. So, uh, all right. Boy, I got like a thousand questions for you. I, I, I just want to get your take on a couple of things. Mueller. So many people are looking at Mueller. Not so many, but, um, initially, uh, you know, thinking that, okay, he's working with Donald Trump to root out the, the you know, the, the, uh, uh, the corruption. Uh, what's your take on the Mueller investigation, the special counsel and, uh, what's going on against Donald Trump? Is, is Mueller a good guy, bad guy? He's, he's I'm, what he is. I'm, I'm with you and against Tracy. There's no doubt in my mind that he's a black hat. And again, he, he probably could have been a pivotal person, you know, that could have gone either way and does go either way, but uh, that's why he survived so long in his position. All right. Um, I, I think that he, he, he is the black hat. And, and to be fair to Tracy, I, I think she's just, she, I, I don't think she's, I think she just no, brought that up and, so. you know. She's presented fairly, and she has some good points. There's no question. I think he might have been given the option earlier, uh, and and went the you know went a different route. But uh, you'd mentioned about what uh, what uh, also what's been through the uh, the key drops, and that it's been kind of backing up that Operation Trump, and some of the things that have been uh, put out by Sundance. We've been parallel on that as far as who's cooperating, who's not backing, you know, backing up the theory that you know we're pre-step and. Where's Baker and, and that, that whole scenario about who's still working and who's cooperating with the government? We've been on that the last uh, couple of weeks as well. You, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Sundance and Conservative Treehouse. I did, uh, I saw a couple of things. Uh, one in particular caught my attention and makes a good point. I want to get your take on this. Um, the idea, the, the narrative that uh, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok are, you know, were having an extramarital affair and just recently on, on, CTH, they came out and says, oh, there's really no proof of an extramarital affair. And when you look at the text and stuff, you kind of think, oh, wow, you know, okay, look at it a little bit differently. What do you think? It's funny you mention it because I wrote a story on that, you know, you know, and of course it's it stated, but I, I had a story I came out with a theory that they weren't lovers. I There was pictures of all four still being together, still with wedding rings, uh, no, no sign of any type of internal interruption from either end, you know. And you, you know, there's another couple besides the two Strozics, you know, from the, the Mr. and Mrs. Page too. And so yep. it all appears normal on the personal front as of a few months ago. So, and if you read the Texas release, and again, it's just been a portion of the of the thousands. There's been no talk. What I what I say is that, <laughs> sadly enough, is that anybody that 
you know, you, you, you just don't even talk about pillow talk, but you talk about trying to hook up for a drink or a meeting. I mean, they're, they, they've got to find hotel rooms. Uh, none of this is mentioned, word one, anywhere in East Texas. Now, maybe they're in the hidden uh, draft areas, but they've yet to, yet to come forward. And I, people forget that Peter Strozak is, was, was head of counterintelligence, uh, yep. right, with Priestap. That yep. means he's our number one country spy. I mean, we're not dealing with people that just fell off the pumpkin wagon. These these people are uh, the top spies in our country, and uh, them pulling something off like this for for whatever reason yet to be discovered. I've I've never I've always thought it was a cover for something deeper myself. I I, I thought the the fair was a cover. Yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting. A very interesting perspective. Uh, uh, look, you know. Uh, it, it is no personal, you know. No, yeah. I love yous. No, I can't wait to see yous. Not no, even the heart emoji. You know what's going to be for dinner? That's right. No heart emoji. Oh. No X's and O's. None of that stuff. That, that you might not be onto something. Close. Like that. Joe, Joe, there's not even a hint. I mean, they don't even mm-hmm. slip up once. You know, uh, and and you just can't be that slick. Uh, now again, maybe there's a whole other story yet to be un- 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 delivered. We just have a portion of these, and and what you were mentioning too, Doug, about these phantom drafts. Uh, maybe they contained it all to there. We know that they had a lot of code words and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, secret agent symbolism in what they did amongst themselves. So uh, that's not stretching it yeah. to think that they've had, uh, you know, other other layers of uh, deceit in this operation. And, and, Roy, if I may, because a lot of people don't listen to my morning show, and, and just when you reference Phantom Drafts, uh, folks, what uh, Roy's referencing and what I spoke about this morning is simply this. Imagine you have, uh, obviously, somebody has an email account, and you've got a username and password. You log into the email account, you draft up, or you create an email, and you send it out. That's the normal process. Imagine if, uh, I don't know, let's say person A has a username and password. Person B has the same username and password, and person A logs into their email account, creates an email, saves it in the draft folder. Person B logs into the, the same email account. Instead of sending out the email, the email never sent. It's just person B goes in, looks at the draft folder, says, ah, okay, and there's the message, and then, you know, types in a reply or whatever that might be, but no transmissions. It's all done through just the draft folder. So that's what Roy's talking about when I mentioned earlier. Um, accessible worldwide. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So kind of inter- interesting maneuver, and that's done for, it's it's really a surveillance counter, electronic surveillance countermeasure, so... Um, because that stuff doesn't go over the over the airways. I think you can have even more than one in there too, Doug. You can have sure. Yeah, it's unlimited. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, again, we're going to have you back. So this is kind of like a shotgun approach to different questions. Eric Prince, uh, the article at Brightport, mm-hmm. you mentioned what in the world is on that laptop? What's what's your feeling that's on the laptop? And that's the Wiener laptop, uh, Huma Abedin device devices and such. What's what's your research well, telling you? Let me first say that, again, to reemphasize that you get credit for being the lead on this story. This is even prior to Eric Prince, just the, your audience knows, but I'd like to reinforce it. Um, thank you for that. That's going to be a huge contribution. I believe, like Eric Prince believes, and I think like you you believe, and maybe even have more knowledge than, than Prince and, and I and everybody else put together, is that there's more than the uh, 60-some thousand, or 600,000 emails that the uh, was reported, and certainly more than a handful of uh, classified emails that uh, uh, Judicial Watch got uh, got released already. But I, I think there's there's un, untold. I think that she had just like just like the uh, the DOJ and the FBI 
FBI had their insurance policy against Trump, I think Uma and, you know, obviously her living husband, Wiener, had an insurance policy against the Clintons. And anybody that's been around the Clintons and seen the trail of uh, suspicious, should we say kindly, of uh, deaths, uh, it's not a bad thing to have as an insurance policy. And I think that's what a lot of people have. Uh, uh, Eric Prince has certainly said that, and other people have said it as well. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that we that will? Though it, <laughs> it does, very it's been horrible. I don't. I didn't even want to talk about it on there. Uh, yeah, exactly. And and I think. Well, before Joe chimes in here, do, do you think? Because I've talked to the people. Well, I've talked to some people. I've talked to. Do you th- oh, the, the, here's my question: Do you think that information on the laptop, the 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 perverse of the perverse, the worst of the worst, is ever going to see the light of day? I think the, the best way you even mentioned those guys were people were contemplating how. I think that the same old, uh, uh, just like Julian Assange did, he didn't release all of the emails in one day. I think a, a drip factor might be the best, and starting with the calmest to the to the worst might be the best way to approach that. If that could be arranged. Okay, and I and I suggest I, I I would stipulate to that. Yes, that was going to be my question. Do you think anything uh, from the Anthony Weiner laptop would be leaked? And also, um, the you know we're talking about Strauch, we're talking about Page, and you guys reference the fact that they still have not only their security clearances but their jobs. Do you think these people will be brought to justice? Do you think that this is going to uh, play out into a larger criminal case against the top members of the FBI and the DOJ when this is all said and done? I think, Joe, to tell you the truth, everybody you mentioned and then some have already signed on the dotted line. They've already accepted the, the, the deals and made their deals, and, uh, you know, it would be up to sentencing for all these people. I, I, I think this is massive, and and, and I, I think it's for real. And I think, finally, we've, we've had years of endless hearings and endless this and that. I think, finally, there's going to be uh, some meat to this stuff as far as... Uh, uh, not only uh, convi- you know prosecutions and convictions, but I think uh, it's going to go all the way. There's going to be no stop or cutoffs halfway up the ladder. So you think that they that, that many of these people have already made deals in exchange for criminal prosecution? No, they're probably not. I, I think, and again, the, the, if you want to know the view from the Q side of it, is there's no 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 100 percent deals. And again, if somebody early on, especially pre-staff, let's just look at pre-staff. He was probably the first one in the birdcage, as they say. Um, uh, no one's getting off scot-free. I, I, that's what I think at the end of the day. You'll find that each one of these people are going to be dinged. It's just a question of how much. And if they talk about, you know, if we're talking about sedition and, you know, if, if they talk about what's the, you know, I think the big dump is going to be, besides the winner's laptop, is going to be in the, the stressing page. Texas or, or emails or, or fan drafts or whatever, I think there's going to be talk of assassination. And I think once that comes to light, that's going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be trying oh, yeah, to everybody yeah. at that point is going to be cutting deals. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a sneaking suspicion based on just one person I spoke with that, that what's, uh, what, what, what the, they've got some, some people caught in a massive, massively, uh, Deep right. conspiratorial oh, web. Oh yeah, and it's, yeah. the insurance policy is not a dossier; it's more of a permanent mm-hmm. solution. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm hearing you I say. I think it was phased in, they, like everything else. These are professional spies, and I think they had it phased in. Uh, you know, again, tap it, the, the tap, the, 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 the Sundance. They 
the, the, the four phases, the four elements of that Operation Trump, I mean, just the end of it was getting to the insurance policy. They, they, they shot blanks the three, first three rounds. And we're in the fourth round as far as the, uh, the deep state goes, as, as, as you know. <laughs> Interesting. Kind of an obscure question I, I have here. Yesterday, the OIG released a one page investigative summary on findings of misconduct by an FBI special agent. I don't know if you got a chance to read that, but in the, in the last sentence, they go on to detail all these crimes that this guy committed, or this person, the special retired, agent committed, but retired. said that this, they had declined criminal prosecution. Do you have any insight on who this might be? No, no, and I, I, I really not sure that it has, that it's really out of either the, um, the Obamagate, that, that part of the corruption element. I, I think that it, it may be like Mueller has stumbled onto additional things. I mean, once they go on these all-inclusive hunts, uh, and I think maybe Horowitz might have found something out because again, you have to remember that they've, they've put a great many people under a lie detector test. So they've, they've gone through sweeping inquiries into looking into this one thing. Maybe something else popped up. I'm just throwing that out as a theory, Joe. No, uh, no firm facts uh, on this story okay. just broke, as you know. Uh, that, that's my guess, is that it was just an auxiliary find while they were sweeping through the uh, the seventh floor. Our, our guest is Captain Roy D., and he's known as Captain Roy D. at Reddit, uh, the, the forum Reddit, and he's done a lot of investigation research on his own, worked with other contributors as well uh, to, to really analyze where we're at. We've got about five minutes left uh, of our time together. And, again, this is going to be the first time, I'm sure, of many times because you've got so much to offer. And, and I think that we would be remiss not to um, get your information and the collective information of other investigative journalists that, that are doing what you do. So take, take, take the last now four minutes or so and make any statement that you want to make or, you know, go anywhere you want to go because we just threw a lot of questions at you, and and, and that probably wasn't the <laughs> it was best more way of to do it. Was a casual discussion. I didn't yeah. Q and A. It was a friendly yeah. discussion. But uh, a recent article I did, Doug, and uh, uh, you've hit on some of these themes before. But I put I put this all together because I think it's going to be breaking on the forefront. The the title of the uh, the piece was, and I'm not sure if I sent it along to John, but it was the Clinton, and then in parentheses, not steel dossier. Now this is the, this, this whole story is referring to what uh, is termed as the second dossier, not the first steel dossier. And again, that was centered through fusion and through Nellior and through DOJ and FBI and all that. This, this second dossier, uh, was developed by, uh, <laughs> the same, same sidekicks of Sidney Blumenthal, Sid Vicious and, uh, Cody, uh, Cody Shear. And yep. the, the two of them have, you know, did, did same kind of oppo research uh, against uh, then candidate Trump, and uh, but but as, instead of uh, the way they organized it all through the DOJ, the Steele dossier, this dossier was was all funneled through the State Department, and Cody Shear's brother-in-law is so as you know is Stroke Talbot, and he opened the door and I think hooked these uh, these two Clintonites up, these two uh, really they're 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 enforcers, these decades-long enforcers for the Clintons, both of these guys. Have uh, roughed up the reputation of women that have gone after Bill Clinton and the silenced witnesses. These these are, are, are some some bad hombres. And uh, they they worked with Jonathan Weiner and uh, Victoria Newland over in state. And between between a lot of them, they passed information back and forth, gave it to Steele. And uh, this this was combined. Uh, they they feel that a lot of the information that the 
that uh, Sid and uh, Cody came up with was was used in part of uh, of the original Steel dossier. <laughs> so their authors, <laughs> them and Nellie Orr are probably the main authors <laughs> of the original Steel dossier between you and me. <laughs> you, you know, I, I hear your I hear you chuckling there. It, it, this this would make a, a really bad spy novel. It really would. Uh, but but a horrible one because people wouldn't believe it. But man, you're incredible information. Uh, with with a minute, we've it's just going to break because Nunes. This has been the phase two, the first phase of Devin Nunes. He came out with his, that big memo that everybody's waiting for, and he's officially and he just talked with Maria Bartiromo last weekend and mentioned yeah. both Sheer and and uh, Sid Blumenthal by name. He's focused in on this, and this is going to be a report that's going to drop rather soon. So a lot of uh, a lot of this is going to be uh, fresh knowledge uh, to the public soon. You know what, Roy? Uh, and again, Captain Captain Roy D. Uh, a poster at Reddit. Anytime you want your research findings posted, uh, uh, feel free to email them to us. But we're going to be following you. Where can people find you and keep keep tabs on your writings and your investigative findings? Uh, well, one thing, and I, of course, I find this by accident. I'm not, I'm like you, Doug, and we're not in the generation that grew up with computers. But, uh, you can just Google up, you just Google up Reddit and put in Captain Roy D, and, uh, the, the, the page will go there, and you can look at any article. You don't have to join Reddit. You don't have to be a member to look at the articles. So they're free. They're all available. I think there's about a hundred current articles up there now. And, uh, the, okay. uh, the thing is about the members, they, they get to leave comments and both, but, you know, short of that, you can just, anybody can, can look at it, and they, 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 they put posts up all the time. Well, Captain, uh, please accept our thanks, and, and please pass along our thanks to, to your colleagues at Reddit, the fellow posters and the fellow uh, researchers and people who are looking into this, and we're going to be back in touch, and we'll have you back on uh, perhaps for a longer period and uh, uh, more frequently, because this is... Uh, this is historic. I mean, uh, history in the making. No doubt. No doubt. I appreciate it. I thank you for your time, and uh, and God bless. God bless you. Folks, that was Captain Roy D. from Reddit. Uh, he's got a U.S. Coast Guard uh, uh, background. He's a great guy, and uh, I would urge people to follow him. Follow the citizen researchers as well on Reddit. Uh, a lot of good information there. Not stuff that you're not going to get uh, through many other places. Going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Network break. First 2018, the first day of May. I'm amazed, and I wonder how many people out there are amazed uh, at, at uh, the state of our country right now. It's not because of President Donald Trump being in office. It's because of the response to President Trump, Donald Trump being in office. And I think that we are nearing a tipping point, and I use that, that phrase specifically. Um, it's interesting because, you know, the, the last guest, uh, Captain Roy D., and I would recommend you, you do look him up on Reddit. And if you heard him and, and you liked him, read some of his writings and, and look at his research because he's, man, uh, right on. But um, coming up here is Brandon House. And, uh, of course, following that is going to be Stan Deo. So, and Brandon good... is going to be talking about the communist infiltration of oh. the Christian church. And there are, I mean, just today I want to cover this article with him. Uh, Turkey is saying, make criticism of Islam a crime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and they, they go on to say, there's no ideology or terminology called Islam. There is only one Islam and it means peace. And what they want to right. do is create 
Uh, he's comparing the Muslim persecution, which th- there isn't any in the Middle East except for Muslims persecuting other Muslims, to the Holocaust. And it's getting a, a, a pretty good response from uh, the NATO nations well, calling them out. In, in Indonesia, I don't know how many people know this, in Indonesia the first uh, conviction and sentencing was meted out to a person accused of... Malaysia, I think. Indonesia, Malaysia. Were right and it was uh, because he... St- uh, fake news was a fake right, news. Right, it was a fake news. During but, an assassination, right. he said he was with the person assassinated, Correct. and it proved he wasn't. Okay, yeah, exactly. Now, uh, what you might say, well, that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about criticizing Islam. It's all the same. It's, it, it, all these are interchangeable. Notice when fake news became a thing, and, and Cheryl Atkinson gets into this uh, back in September of 2016 when the current iteration of fake news was used by Obama back now fake the, the the phrase fake news has been around a long time but in that sense it was used by obama in september 2016 and then of course it was used in a different manner by president donald trump and what do we see today now this uh, fake news and we have to fight back against fake news and it's it's being used yet again in another iteration so this is all going to go together mm-hmm. to regulate censor and stifle uh the, the, the real news. And why are they doing this? Of course, they don't want to be exposed for what they're doing. Before we get to our next guest, and folks, trust me when I tell you, this is going to be huge, and it already is huge, but it's going to affect each and every one of us. If you're on, if you're on, if you've got a website, if you're on social networking, if you're, it's already affecting you. Diamond and Silk, look what, look at Diamond and Silk. And by the way, if you don't think we're being censored, okay, we have an exclusive interview with Diamond and Silk. Look at the numbers on that YouTube video. Yeah, on our YouTube okay. channel. Look By the at way, we, lo- we actually lost numbers. Yeah, the, not even just with the individual Diamond and Silk interview, but if you look at the trend of how many viewers we get per full show, with, even within a 24-hour period, I don't even think we hit half the mark no, with Diamond no, and Silk, no. which is crazy because, if anything, they're going to bring in more traffic. And Eric mentioned the 60-second teaser uh, video clip he put out to promo that interview got more views than the actual diamond and silk interview. actually got more views in one hour yeah in one hour than than the so then the interviews got in 24 hours right so so you, you know that they're playing around with um that they're taking so when you tweet or when you send something put something on facebook if it's antithetical to their ideology meaning if it's conservative or christian or christian conservative it ain't going nowhere Unless you're unless you're really slamming another Christian or another conservative, then it's then they'll make it viral because they want division, and that's what people don't understand. The, the people who try to take us down, they they feed right into that, and that's why I call them morons. Because really, seriously, I mean, I mean, anyway. Um, so obviously, there's a lot of stress built into that. Now, I've got a solution for you with respect to stress. Think about this. Music is one of life's greatest pleasures. It can just calm you. It could make you, it could focus you. Um, think of when we had Michael Terrell on from, uh, wholetonesfree.com. Michael Terrell did a great job in explaining how music and the, the frequencies and, uh, the, the different music packages and frequency packages have different effects on you. I noticed this with Lady the Studio Dog at home. Or even in the studio when I put on different whole tones, uh, uh, music packages. Depending on what I, if it's a relaxation, if it's focusing, if it, and I'll tell you something, uh, it works on, on me. I mean, it helps me relax. It helps me focus. It helps me 
it energizes me, depending on, again, depending on the package. So I, I, I would urge everyone to take advantage of this. We need all of the help we can get today to stay focused, to stay relaxed, to stress-free, to stay, um, to, to get a good night's sleep. Whatever the need might be, music, especially wholetonesfree.com, that's the answer or an answer. I know you guys like solutions. This is a solution. Michael Terrell created Whole Tones, the Healing Frequency Music Projects. And as I said before, these frequencies were studied in the music of King David. This is not even close to New Age. This is so far, this is old age. This is the biblical frequency. And and because I've got a lot of, not a lot, but I've got a few questions about this. The music of King David. All right. And astounding healing effects. You too right now can benefit from this revitalized ancient healing therapeutic music simply by listening daily to this music in the comfort of your own home, car, or office. Do it. Reward yourself with a gift of healing, the gift of transformation, the gift of whatever you're looking for. Find the right package, the right frequency, and play it. Don't miss the opportunity to get an absolutely free sample of this music so you can begin benefiting from this right now. Please do this for yourself. And I'll tell you this, if you don't notice a difference, you, you talk to me. Cause I, I, I'm not sure I believe it because this does, I've noticed a change, uh, ever since Michael Terrell's offered this, introduced this to us a long, several, numerous months ago. So you can support this show. Go to wholetonesfree.com. Get a free sample of these soothing, relaxing, revitalizing musical tones. I want you to go to the URL, wholetonesfree.com. That's W-H-O-L-E, tones, T-O-N-E-S, free. You can remember that, wholetonesfree.com. Today, do it for your free sample. That's wholetonesfree.com, wholetonesfree.com. And enjoy the benefits that that offers. And we thank Michael Terrell for all he's done. The the music, the, oh, my goodness, what, a, what great packages, too. And you can't beat that, so. Uh, Mother's Day is coming up, and think about that for for mom yeah. or grandma or, or just your wife. Oh, my wife loves that. So anyway, we have with us Brandon House. His website is worldviewweekend.com. WVW online is the Twitter handle, and he joins us to talk about a number of things, and most importantly, the communist infiltration of the church. Brandon, it's great to have you back on. Great to be back with you guys. Thanks so much. Man, you you always look so so dapper there. Um, I got to tell you, it's keep up with you. Ah, yeah, right. Um, you, you know, I've been thinking a lot about you, Brandon, and I I know that we've got a lot a lot of stuff to talk about, but uh, we have got to fix this problem of you uh, getting uh, losing tens of thousands of dollars from your conferences and what 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 the what these groups have done to you. We've got to figure out a way to fix this. Well, we're hoping that's the case. We uh, have a big law firm that's looking at it. They had some big cases they had to deal with in court, and they're supposed to be getting back to us this week. We have another attorney who has been doing a lot of writing on this publicly as well as to us personally. So we've got a couple options, and we're just waiting to see what's going to happen. And, folks, Brandon House is our guest. Just imagine this. You've got... You've got conferences set up. You've got materials printed out. You're invested thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars into these events. Yeah, retainers and hotel bookings. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And then you get a a bunch of a bunch of anti 
um, free speech people, the Antifa and the pro-Islamic groups band together, call the hotel, make it such that they're, you know, they can't have the conferences. And, and, and well, what you're talking about really fits with what we're going to talk about, the Marxism and Christianity merging, because some of our biggest opposition is coming from so-called evangelicals that have bought into this Marxism, and they are working with the Muslim Brotherhood and interfaith dialogue. So again, it's that red-green axis, but most people will probably be shocked to find out that this red-green axis is coming right into evangelicalism. And, and again, we're not talking about the mainline churches. We're talking about mainstream evangelicalism. We're talking about people like Tony Campalo and uh, Tim Keller and Ron Sider. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tony Campalo and Jim Wallace, but Tony Campalo and Jim Wallace were trying to mainstream this into evangelicalism back in the late 70s and certainly the early 80s. And I would talking my radio show today. I started a series on this. Are you guys still there? Yeah, we're here. The uh, speech was cracking up just for a few seconds there, but we're here. Okay. We, I started a series on radio today on uh, Jim Wallace and Tony Campalo, but back in the 80s, these guys were trying to bring this mainstream within evangelicalism and so now, from the early 80s to today, they've done it. And again, this is not mainline churches. And this is evident by the fact that you had 50 so-called prominent evangelical leaders meeting last week at Wheaton uh, to try to figure out what to do about all these pastors and Christians that are supporting the policies of Donald Trump. And who was there? It's reported that none other than Tim Keller, neo-Marxist, Jim Wallace, neo-Marxist, I mean, I can read some stuff to you about Jim Wallace here, and I'd love to, showing you how radical this guy is. And this guy, yet again, is a neo-Marxist. He's pretty much been in support of every communist revolution in South America for the last 30, 40 years. And he also was part of the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable that was funded by George Soros. So, again, when you talk about groups shutting us down, I want to make sure our audience understands this isn't just progressive, socialist, secular humanist groups, this this uh, ideology is gaining steam within mainstream evangelicalism to the point that now 50 evangelical leaders met last week, by invitation only, to figure out what to do about people like us that might be supporting some of the president's policies, like his policies on Israel, his policies on Iran, his policies on immigration, national security. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled with his new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, former congressman from Kansas. Uh, West Point graduate, was the CIA director for a short time, finally confirmed as Secretary of State. But, you know, they were basically putting him through a religion test. They wanted to know his views about all these different things related to his religion. That's a violation of the Constitution, trying to confirm him in that way. Uh, and yet that's what they were trying to do last week and not confirm him. But it's ironic he has been confirmed. Uh, last night and uh, on a live broadcast we did, breaking news, we did a live streaming broadcast because of what hap happened in Israel and we had with us Dr. Jimmy D. Young, who lived in Israel for over 20 years. He was part of our uh, Ozarks conference. We just got done Friday night, all day Saturday, half day Sunday, with our 15th annual Ozarks conference. We had a full house, and we had uh, 10 speakers. that included Billy Vaughn, whose son was one of the 17 Navy SEALs shot down in a Chinook helicopter in 2012 due to political correctness, embedded with Afghans that likely gave them up. They were not allowed to put down suppressing ground fire when they landed. And so, again, political correctness got 
those 17 U.S. Navy SEALs and a bunch of their support team, about 30, 31 guys all together, killed. He spoke for us. Former Muslim, now Christian pastor, Sharam Hadian spoke, spoke for us. Uh, former Department of Homeland Security uh, officer, Phil Haney, who's been on Sean Hannity's program 14 times, spoke for us. By the way, uh, the Obama administration convened a grand jury trying to indict him and put him in jail uh, for supposedly violating the civil liberties of internationalist jihadis. Yeah, we so, had him on, Brandon, and he detailed uh, his work under the Obama administration and uh, just by going by the book, how many times he was almost not only uh, fired, but also criminally charged for doing his work. And it, that's an amazing story. And yeah, I don't he, was, he was with us this, this weekend in Lake of the Ozarks. And uh, so we, we just come off that, but uh, we filmed all 16 presentations uh, that will be a part of our Situation Room at situationroom.net. But we're also producing a documentary called Sabotage. Because the whole documentary is based on the Marxists and Muslims and their religious useful idiots that are sabotaging America. So again, I want to make sure your audience understands that what, what, what Doug has started out the program with, the Marxists and Muslims, and what they've done in shutting us down, is also a, a group of religious useful idiots that are pushing the Marxism as well, that are working to shut us down and marginalize us, which is again why 50 of them just met last week. In, uh, at Wheaton College by invitation only to figure out what to do with Christians and pastors who are supporting some of the policies of Trump. We don't necessarily support everything Donald Trump does, but the policies we do support, we do support. And Mike Pompeo, by the way, we played audio last night as I was getting to on our TV show and radio show in the afternoon TV at night last night. We did a special broadcast uh, because we were at Lake of the Ozarks. Jimmy Digon was still here. I was still here kind of rest, trying to rest up, but we had to give our day up to go live and uh, talk about what happened in Israel. And we played video clips of Mike Pompeo, the new Secretary of State, who by all evidence appears to be a very strong, conservative, pro-Israel, understands Islam, Christian. Uh, we have audio and video of him giving his testimony in Kansas. Uh, we had some folks come up to us at our conference at Lake of the Ozarks this weekend and say that he's a friend of theirs. He has stayed in their home. They purchased some books to bring to him, we were told. And they're telling us, yeah, this guy is the real deal. So think about this. We got rid of this guy that was a pretty pathetic Secretary of State, Tillerson, and we get Mike Pompeo, former West Point graduate, former congressman, former CIA director, now Secretary of State, just at a time when Israel goes in and finds a half a ton of literature showing that Iran, surprise, has been breaking the Iranian deal. Um, this is all very interesting. The timing is very important because, again, in his video clips, that are back when he was a congressman, he's talking about how the ideology of Islam is a global caliphate, and it is the slaughter and killing of Christians. So we're in a very good position right now with this Secretary of State, but yet who's coming against us? The the uh, Marxists inside mainstream evangelicalism, Tim Keller, Jim Wallace, Tony Campalo, and the like. So... Let's not forget, we're not only dealing with those outside the, quote, evangelical world, we're dealing with those inside who, in the 1980s, were seen as being extremists within the margins of evangelicalism, who now are considered some of the prominent evangelical leaders within evangelicalism. So this is moving very fast, and most Christians, are, and most even conservatives, are not aware of the problems that are facing the conservative evangelical world today, with the fact that they're embracing people that are going to use the church to actually persecute real Christians and real conservatives. We, we see this, Brandon. Uh, I've seen this up close and personal. Some of our biggest detractor, detractors 
are those people who will embrace the uh, so-called evangelical position mm-hmm. and then weaponize it and, and say, you know what, um, you're, you're uh, well, what's happening to you? And, and, and real quick, Tim Keller, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with many of the names that you threw out there, Brandon. So I just did a quick search and found that Tim Keller used to be a pastor of a uh, of a church, the Redeemer Church, and has a report called the Redeemer Report. Well, the, the one article I found is uh, the Bible and same-sex relationships, a review article, where it goes on to lay out uh, this guy's arguments for why we have it wrong today and that the church and Christianity is accepting of same-sex marriages and was back in biblical times without scriptural proof. But Well, yeah. let me tell you where this is going. And we talked about this in our radio show last week at worldbradio.com. Right now they're on the big kick of, of race theory and racism. And we, we heard the clips from our last time together where David Platt uh, was talking about the churches deepening the racial divide and how Christians are uh, permeated by racism, whether we know it or not, this whole white privilege thing. And again, your audience may not know who David Platt is, but he's been uh, he's rather uh, popular within the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in America. And, uh, well, this Monday, this past week, yesterday, Monday, was his first day as the Bible teacher, the daily Bible teacher of a program called Back to the Bible. Now, again, many of your listeners maybe aren't familiar with Back to the Bible. It's out of uh, Nebraska. It was started in 1939 by a very conservative pastor, Theodore Epp. And one of the past presidents of Back to the Bible is a friend of mine, Woodrow Kroll, who has spoken for us many times over the years. He retired several years ago. And they kind of were trying to find a new leader that they could hang on to. They've lost their last several Bible teachers. Why does it matter? Because this program is was one that was started in 1939 and is on hundreds and hundreds of radio stations across America. Back to the Bible. I mean, how can you argue with that, right? Been a pretty traditional program. Well, for the last few weeks, they've been offering David Platt's book, Radical, which is just a book pushing social justice. This is the same David Platt. We saw the video clip when we were on your show a few weeks ago declaring, you know, racism is still alive and well, and one of the examples of it is the the uh, disparaging income between blacks and whites, the rate of crime in the black community versus the white community, the, the mortality death rates of black babies versus white babies, and all this, as though he says this is an example of racism being alive and well. Uh, no, it's the example of a failed progressive policies promoted by our government, and which is why black leaders like Star Parker, Walter Williams, Thomas Sowell, and a guy by the name of Jason Riley are writing books and articles saying, you know, the, the, the progressive socialists are destroying the black community. But David Platt wants to say this is all signs of racism in the church and we need to do something about it. So what do we need to do? More government. Well, this is the guy that's now going to become, as of yesterday, the teaching pastor on the historic Back to the Bible program that is listened to mostly by older Christians. Now, what's the point I'm making? We know the younger so-called Christian evangelicals are going for this social justice garbage. But now you're going to watch many of the older people because it's being wrapped in terms like back to the Bible. And I'm not saying that this guy's never going to preach a good sermon. I'm not saying you wouldn't agree with some of the things he says. That's the problem. He will preach some very good, accurate sermons biblically, and then he'll use that to gain credibility to undermine the true biblical worldview and the true gospel, for I believe, for a social justice, social gospel. By the way, this is the same guy who worked with Russell Moore and filed an amicus brief with the Southern Baptist Convention and the International Mission Board to defend the right of Muslims to build a mosque in New Jersey. So we're not only battling for the hearts and minds of the young people within conservative evangelicalism today, 
We now are having a battle for the minds of the older people because now the most well-known, long-term, prestigious Christian programs on talk radio and Christian radio are being taken over by this younger generation like David Platt. In fact, I had a dentist come to our conference here at Lake of the Ozarks, uh, and he told me, and it's in an email, he wrote it down to, for me in an email, that he's gone to a Bible study for 20 years with guys in his, his age bracket in the early 60s. For 20 years. And their young pastor, who's 45, has begun to pass out Tim Keller's book, Tim Keller, a neo-Marxist, pass out his books by the case. And now if you try to tell these men in their 60s, hey, you need to be aware of this Tim Keller guy, what he's really all about, they won't hear it because the young pastor has told them how great he is. So guys, we're now trying to not only reclaim the mind of the millennials and the younger generation, the Bible ministry programs are being turned over to these neo-Marxists and evangelicalism, and now we're trying to convince some of the older Americans, why are you going against this? What, well, these baby boomers should know better. Their fathers and grandfathers died fighting communism, and now they're going to embrace it in their own, quote, Bible ministries they listen to on the radio in their own churches. Indeed, they are. And I got a, I got an audio. I mean, I, look, this is a book Ken Keller wrote, Generous Justice. It should have been called Social Justice. And in the book, he quotes theolo theologian, a theologian here. He just says he's a theologian. He doesn't tell you who this theologian is. He just says theologian. And the theologian is Gustavo Guterres. You know who Gustavo Guterres is? He's the father of liberation theology. What is liberation theology? Mixing Marxism with Christianity. And whether it's Tony Campalo, Jim Wallace, Tim Keller, Ron Sider, and I, and I can just keep going on and on, all of these so-called prominent evangelicals that have become mainstream now are all praising by name liberation theology. Marxism mixed with Christianity. And, and Brandon, what you said about you know, these people, it's not like they'll never preach a good sermon. I'd say, you know, as effective as this technique is, that you have to have at least a balance of more than 50% of your sermons being biblically accurate and, and sound. And then you see that, as you said, gives them the credibility to throw these other uh, things in there. And this is the problem that we see with, you know, the, the Joel Olsteins and, and the yeah. others. They have these, uh, you know, they'll, they'll quote scripture and then, uh, you know, they'll teach you a good message, but it's not the biblical message. And it's off it's out of context and it's not clear as the Bible makes it. And this is a huge problem because it seems like Christians today don't have the discernment to read between those lines and, or don't have the biblical knowledge, the biblical foundational knowledge to understand how it's taken out of context. Absolutely. In fact, if, if, if your listeners don't mind, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are Christians and some of them are conservative and some don't really know what they are. But if they don't mind, uh, I, I would take them to something I was reading. Sorry about that. I would take them to something I was reading uh, a few years ago as I was studying through the Bible, and I thought, well, what else did I find other than the Hegelian dialectic process right in the Bible? In fact, here at Lake the Ozarks, that's what I was speaking on, was uh, the dialectical deception. Marx, Marxism and Christianity, a dialectical deception. Again, it was my two-part 45-minute talk, which was filmed, and, and along with the other uh, six, 14 presentations, uh, with three cameras, a swinging boom, broadcast quality, will all now be post-edited with video clips, PowerPoint that was used in the, in the seminar in this, at the conference, and then it will be loaded to our uh, our version of Christian version of Netflix called SituationRoom.net, so they can check it out if they want. We'll start loading them up this month, SituationRoom.net. But in my two talks, titled again, Marxism and Christianity, A Dialectical Deception, I said, folks, what we're seeing is they try to merge truth and error to gain credibility, as you just said. You've got to have some truth 
to under to to, uh, to gain credibility to then undermine biblical Christianity and hijack it. You see that Marxists understand that persecuting the church only makes it grow. Cuba, China, behind the former Iron Curtain, Romania, uh, uh, examples of that. Why persecute it when you can when you can join it? Why persecute the church? I'm not saying that persecution will come, but why not co-opt, join the, quote, church, and then take over it, and then use that false dominant church to persecute Christians? You see what I just said there? Oh, yeah. Why not yeah. persecuting the church, quote, church, join it, and then once you infiltrate it with your Marxist, you use this false dominant church to persecute guys like you and me, and the government lets this false dominant church persecute us, and then the government passes legislation, hate crime laws, other things, blasphemy laws, you can't speak ill of Islam. And who defends those laws? This false dominant church. So the false dominant church gives cover to the government to do what they're doing and say, oh, these people aren't real Christians. This isn't what, isn't what Jesus would do. Jesus was a social justice warrior. Jesus was really all about ecumenicalism, universalism. And so this is what we see happening. And so if you go to Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, I was reading this a few years ago and I thought, wow, if that isn't the dialectic, hitting opposites against each other, a little truth and a little error in order to get some credibility and then undermine the true intent of the gospel and the purpose of the church. Acts 16, 16 through 18. Do you guys mind if I read it? No, please. Here's what it says. Now it happened as we went to prayer, talking about uh, the apostle Paul uh, and Silas. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us. This was a girl that was demon-possessed who brought her master much profit by her fortune-telling. Okay, so she was a, she was indwelt by a demon, maybe more than one. She would give fortunes, and that's how he made his money. Because the demonic world knows certain things, without a doubt. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, quote, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. End quote. Is that a true statement? Yes. Mm -hmm. These men are the servants of the Most High God. These are apostles, for Pete's sake, uh, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ to come out of, out of her. And he came out that very hour. First thing I would like to notice is that Paul was annoyed. I, I have some people say when they quote me, oh, that Brennan House, he has a bad attitude. Uh, really? Do you have a bad attitude or am I just annoyed by your lies? Am I just annoyed by your false teaching? Am I just annoyed by your deception and the way you fool people? and deceive people and cheat people by the philosophies of men that are not according to Christ, Colossians 2.8. Uh, but a friend of mine recently said, I tried quoting it to my pastor, telling my pastor, look at what he's saying about Christianity and Marxism. He's been talking about this stuff for years and writing about it for years. And his pastor's response is, yeah, I know him. He has a bad attitude. Well, guess what? The Apostle Paul, greatly annoyed, he was greatly annoyed by this woman who was possessed by a demon following them around for several days Speaking truth. Now, why would he be annoyed by a demonic woman filled with a demon speaking truth? Why would that annoy him? Because what she was trying to do, with what that demon was trying to do in dwelling her, was to gain credibility and then undermine the true new church. This was a brand new church. Okay, we're in Acts chapter 16. The church has just been birthed in Acts 2. This is a brand, the brand new little church that has been born. This is the beginning of the church. Christ has ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come. Then dwell the believer, and now the church begins, the church age, the New Testament church. And here we are in chapter 16, and Satan is 
using this demonic woman to say, hey, look, these are servants of the Most High. These apostles, they know the true way to salvation. True statement. What is the demon trying to do? Gain credibility to then come into the church. So in other words, you've got to speak some truth to gain some credibility. So once you get your foot in the door through that credibility, then you undermine the gospel, the true intent and purpose of the church. And that's, a, that's the Hegelian dialectic. Truth and error mixing and coming together. And that is what is going on with Marxism and Christianity today. And this is why these guys will preach some really good sermons that you would agree with. You cannot argue with them when it comes to the context of the scripture they're using and the application, the interpretation. But then they use that credibility then to convince young people and even now older people that, you know, maybe we've had it wrong. Maybe it is a sign of racism that we don't allow for more government redistribution of wealth, reparations. You know, maybe we've had it wrong. Maybe Jesus really was about ending uh, material poverty spiritual uh, instead of spiritual poverty. Maybe Jesus in Matthew 25 is talking about the least of these being the poor today, even though Matthew 25 in context is Jesus setting up his millennial kingdom, dividing the sheep from the goats. And in Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, is talking about the spiritual poor, not the material poor. But again, these guys can preach some good sermons to gain credibility, and then they rush in with their neo-Marxism and undermine the real purpose of the church, and they even grab up older saints that should know better, but they get deceived. And we've seen this, you know, repeated uh, in many different ways, using many different ideals and and uh, theories, and 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 we see it today with the homosexuality, with the anti-racism, and, and claims of xenophobia. It's the same thing over and over, just repackaged, Brandon. And that's a great find on that Acts sixteen, sixteen through eighteen. I'll have to go yeah. back and read that. Yeah, Acts sixteen, sixteen through eighteen. You know, and, and, and you guys remember Julian Huxley, right? The first uh, director of the United Nations Education, Scientific, sure. Cultural, yep. his brother Alfred Huxley. Yep. yep. You know, we talk about the Marxism and Christianity uh, dialectical deception. Aldous Huxley wrote a report that you can find online called UNESCO: Its Purpose and Its Philosophy. It was written in 1946. Let me give you this quote by him, uh, Aldous Huxley, at the United Nations in 1946, because he's talking about what we're talking about right here, right now. He says this, the task is to help the emergence of a single world culture. So world government, world culture. At the moment, two opposing philosophies of life confront each other. You may categorize the two philosophies as supranationalism or as individualism versus collectivism. So now notice, we're going to start having opposites. Thesis and antithesis. Idea, opposite idea. Individualism versus collectivism. So that would be individual hard work versus collective hard work, socialism. Or capitalism versus communism. Or Christianity versus Marxism. Now, isn't that funny, guys? In 1946, the first director of UNESCO, United Nations Education Scientific Cultural Organization, is saying, hey, you got Christianity, you got Marxism. Can't these maybe fit together? Because that's what he's going to say. So capitalism versus communism. Or Christianity versus Marxism. Can these opposites be reconciled? This antithesis be resolved in a higher synthesis? I believe not only that this can happen, but through the inexorable dialect of evolution, it must happen. So what is he saying? Opposites must conflict. They must come together. The change comes from the conflict, as Saul Alinsky said. So back in 1946, the head of UNESCO, United Nations, was saying, we've got to merge Marxism and Christianity. I'm here tonight to tell you that is happening, that in the 1980s, that's been going on prior to the 1980s, but in the 1980s, Jim Wallace, 
Tony Campalo, Ron Sider, and others tried bringing this into mainstream evangelicalism in the 1980s, and a lot of your evangelical leaders would not tolerate it. Those guys now are dead and gone, a lot of the leaders of the 80s. Wallace is still alive, advanced in age, and Jim Wallace is still alive. Tony Campalo and Jim Wallace are both still alive, advanced in age. But a lot of the guys that stopped it from becoming mainstream in evangelicalism, they're dead now. And you know what's all they're doing? They're sitting around and waiting for funerals. They're sitting around and they're waiting for funerals. And the more of these older guys that die off, they take advantage of it. And this meeting that just took place in Wheaton with 50, quote, prominent evangelicals invitation only that included people like Jim Wallace, neo-Marxist Tim Keller, Jim Wallace, and others, it is reported that they decided to get together at this, this meeting together while at Billy Graham's funeral. Let me get this straight. Yeah, wow. Billy Graham's body isn't even warm, or isn't even cold yet, hardly. You know, as a, my friend of mine was saying that. His body wasn't even cold yet, and they're at his funeral, all huddled over in a corner saying, okay, he's dead and gone. Uh, who else is dead? Falwell's dead. Tim LaHaye's dead. D. James Kennedy, they're dead. Why, why am I rattling off these names? Well, Jerry Falwell, Tim LaHaye, uh, uh, D. James Kennedy. These were all men that founded what we call today the religious right, and I don't have to agree with them on everything they ever believed. I was friends with, with all of them. Uh, D. James Kennedy had me at his church many times, on his national radio show many, many times, spoke at his conference, Reclaiming America for Christ. Uh, Falwell had me on frequently on his TV show. He was on my radio show. I wrote for his paper, uh, the Liberty Journal at the time. Tim LaHaye spoke for our conferences. Uh, uh, one time, the Worldview Weekend conference I do. I knew all these men personally. But these guys, D. James Kennedy, Jerry Falwell, uh, and um, Tim LaHaye, were three of the men that helped to start the religious right. They came out of a meeting out of the White House with Jimmy Carter. They realized they couldn't go anywhere with Jimmy Carter, even though he was this supposed born-again Christian. And they stood outside the gates of the White House during the Carter administration and talked about their meeting they just had and came to the conclusion they needed to start a coalition of Christians to counter the liberalism, that really the communism, the neo-Marxism of Jimmy Carter. And thus the coalition was built that ended up electing Ronald Reagan. Well, those guys are all dead and gone. And who is going to oppose this generation of neo-Marxists now that are coming mainstream? There's not enough people that know what Marxism is, what communism is, there's not enough young people today or even guys in their 40s and 50s that know what the Bible teaches about these things. They don't know that the Bible does not teach communism in Acts, that when they had all things in common, it does not mean they were into communism, as some say the early church in Acts was doing. No, it makes it very clear they owned their own property. As people had needs, they would sell property and meet their needs, but it was all voluntary. We see the apostle says to, to uh, Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit about how much they gave, was it not your land before you sold it? Yes, it was. Once you sold it and had the money, was it not your money to do what you wanted? Yes, it was. So why did you lie to the Holy Spirit about how much you gave? And they dropped dead that very hour, right? And then we have Jesus teaching the parable of the town, of the, of the uh, landowner. He, he pays the people to work all day, and then some folks show up later in the day, and they pay them the same amount, even though they didn't work the whole day. And the, and the people who worked all day start complaining. And Jesus in the parable says, isn't it the money of the landowner to do what he wills? Yeah. What are we talking about here? 
private property, private contract. So most people today think, oh, well, Acts, they were involved in communal living, communism, that's what Jesus... No, these people don't know the Bible. Not only that, so we don't have a generation today of pastors that know the Bible, many of them, very few do, in context, nor do they know the worldviews and philosophies of the day, Islam, Marxism, Leninism, postmodernism, uh, cosmic humanism, or New Age. So they don't know the philosophies, nor how to refute and destroy these philosophies using the Bible. So I ask this, who is alive today to refute this Marxist takeover? All they've been doing is sitting around waiting on people to die to take over, and there they are at Billy Graham's funeral, reportedly, conniving and scheming for this meeting on how to deal with Christians and pastors supporting the Trump's, policy, uh, Trump's policies, and where they come up with the meeting at Wheaton? Reportedly at Billy Graham's funeral. Yeah. It's not surprising. Wow. And, and, I mean, uh, when we look at this agenda, when we look at uh, histo- uh, communism and these other uh, ideologies historically, they are all generational. They, they never are, you know, a, a one or two year plan. It's always a five, ten, twenty, thirty, hundred year plan. And so they right. slowly chip away. I mean, if they can just slowly take one chip a year every five years out, they'll take it. And they do this, uh, I mean, this is how we've gotten to this point is through, through this subtlety. There's never just this, you know, uh, invasion and takeover. It's always, uh, slow infiltration and erosion of whatever it is, whether it's the constitution or, or the biblical teachings. And then they, they pervert the ideology after a slow time of chipping away at it. And we see this has come full circle in Christianity, and we're on the other side. The, the true Bible-believing Christians, I don't want to say are the minority, but in Christianity, are. they're less are. and less. We are the minority. True true Christians who understand a biblical worldview are the minority. That's not a guess. There's been surveys and polls that show that the average Christian adult, only 4% have a comprehensive biblical worldview. Only 4%. The, wow. Four percent of self-professing Christians can actually apply biblically a, a biblical worldview to law, science, economics, history, family, or sociology, theology. They, they, if you want to talk about economics from the Bible, they yeah. can't do it. If you want to talk about the law, the purpose of government, Romans 13, reward the righteous, punish the wicked, private property, they cannot talk about these things from the Bible. They don't have a comprehensive biblical worldview. In fact, reality is. Walter Rogenbush, who's the father of the social gospel movement, was a Fabian socialist. I remember George Bernard Shaw created the Fabian window in 1910 that, as their logo includes a wolf in sheep's clothing. A wolf in sheep's clothing. So that was in 1910. But well before that, the father of the social gospel movement, Walter Rogenbush, said the only power that can make socialism succeed if it is to be established is religion. It cannot work in an irreligious country. So they know they must co-opt the church or Christianity or evangelicalism if they're to succeed. And that's exactly what they're doing today. But I ask again, who's going to oppose this? And how are they going to do it? And I contend tonight, I can give you many reasons and many ways they're going to do it, but I would contend tonight two ways they're going to do it is by saying uh, look at the evils in the world. Uh, the disparity of incomes, uh, disparity of in education, the, the crime rate, as, as uh, David Platt was doing and saying, this is all signs that racism is still alive and well. No, it's a sign of failed progressive socialist policies of the government, not Christians. But he wants to say this is an example that, that uh, racism is alive and well and Christians are somehow deepening this divide, as he said in those clips we played. But the reality is what they're doing is now wrapping this racism around uh, their neo-Marxist ideology. They have their progressive, socialist, big government, redistribution of wealth policies, and they wrap racism around it. 
so that no one can complain about what they're saying because if you complain about their solution to racism, then you must be a racist. So if the solution to racism is more government, more redistribution, uh, reparations, which they're now calling for, many of them at the Southern at the uh, Gospel Coalition, reparations. By the way, I don't know if you saw the report. The Democrats had a, a meeting the other day and, and and by invitation reception called Victory 2022. Victory 2022. The Democrats are planning to win massive elections by promising universal health care, free education, and reparations. Okay, so now you've got the, quote, gospel coalition, neo-Marxist gospel coalition, uh, that and, and many of these guys with other denominations and associations and groups promoting the idea that if we're going to have racial reconciliation, that must take place in the confines of economics as well. So if you say we have to talk about racial reconciliation, but it has to be in the confines of economics, what you're talking about is reparations. Well, where's that money coming from? The people. You're talking about more taxes, redistribution of wealth. Now, if you oppose any of this schemes to take the wealth away from the workers, the hard workers, the entrepreneurs, the capitalists, which is what their goal is, then you have to oppose their plan. How do you oppose their plan when their plan has been wrapped with a veneer of fighting racism? Because if you're opposed now to their plan, you're opposed to fighting racism. If you're opposed to fighting racism, it must be because you're a racist. The other thing they're wrapping it around is the idea of this is how you build the kingdom of God. Uh, Walter Rogenbush openly preached the idea that what he was doing with his socialism was preparing the environment for the coming of God. In other words, Marxists generally believe that man is not evil. Man is not depraved and sinful by nature. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all, all else. Who could know it? But these guys say no. Man isn't inherently evil due to us fallen sin nature and original sin. Man is a product of his environment. If you just set the right environment, the good of all will come out, and eventually you'll have heaven on earth, a utopian society. So what Walter Rogenbush talked about was wrapping the kingdom of God and building it on earth to create the right environment. When you create the right environment, crime goes down, income disparity goes down, racism goes down, and now we're starting to see uh, the kingdom of God be prepared for Christ to return. Now, this is what they taught openly. Uh, and so now Christians today, like Tim Keller and others, uh, Jim Wallace, openly talk about building the kingdom of God on earth. And if you're not interested in building the kingdom of God on earth, what's wrong with you? you That's must crazy. Not, <laughs> you, must not love, you must not love the unsaved. You Wait. must not love justice. You must not love the poor. So now you can't oppose their policies that are wrapped in racism, or you're a racist. You can't oppose their policies wrapped in building the kingdom of God on earth, or you're not a good Christian and aren't doing what Jesus called us to do. So you're a racist and a bad Christian. Therefore, you're a racist and you're a fake Christian. You're the problem. So now you have the false dominant church saying, you see, these people aren't even real Christians. What they're doing is racist and against what Jesus called for. Because they've made Jesus into a social justice warrior by taking his spiritual words about poverty on the Mount of, the, uh, Mount of Olivet in the Olivet Discourse, which were about spiritual poverty, being spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt, like a beggar who cannot save himself. Thus, we have to cry out for the forgiveness of God through Christ provided through his death and resurrection, which is why Christ said on the cross, it is finished. Debt paid in full. These are banking terms. Debt paid in full. Your sin debt is paid through the righteous life of Christ being imputed or credited to your account. Not by works, lest any man should boast. It's a free gift of God. 
But they take all that language of Christ in the Olivet Discourse, where he's talking about the spiritual poor and spiritual poverty, and they mean it's natural poverty, real poverty, material poverty. So they've redefined Christianity, redefined what it is to be a Christian, redefined who Jesus really was. He's now a social justice warrior. Redefining the mission of a pastor. And so if you oppose these ideas, you're a racist, and you're not interested in true Christianity building the kingdom of God on earth. So how do you oppose this, and who would want to oppose it? Because if you do, you're going to be a racist, and you're going to be un an unchristian person, and you're going to be maligned. And that's what happens to me and anyone else that speaks up. And that's what they do. They malign me and others online, and they attack us, and others see that, and they say, why on earth would I ever want to do what he does? And so what they're doing is they attack people like me and others as an example for other people to shut up and join the consensus so you're not maligned as well. How do we fight back? You fight back with truth. You fight back with by, by doing what you're allowing me to do tonight. You're allowing me to explain the real context of the Olivet Discourse. You've allowed me to explain the real context of the original church, the beginning of the church in Acts, where they had all things in common, that that was not communism. You've allowed me to, me to explain who these leaders are, what their philosophies and ideas are, why they're wrong from a constitutional republic standpoint, why they're wrong from a biblical standpoint. And knowledge is power. Knowledge is the acquisition of truth. Knowledge is the acquisition of truth. Wisdom is the application of that truth. And the Bible says to get wisdom and get knowledge, get understanding. We've got to educate people so they have the knowledge, acquisition of truth, then they have the wisdom, the application of truth, and now they have the understanding of what's happening, why it's happening, and they can see the world in the big picture, the big pieces, not just in small bits and pieces where it doesn't make any sense. Like, why is this happening? A lot of people don't know why their church is changing. They're like, our church used to be very traditional, and then something happened, and it went into transition, and then it's completely transformed. That wasn't by mistake. Remember, remember what the head of UNESCO, Julian Huxley, said in 46. We have to get these things to fight, 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 to have a synthesis. Individualism versus collectivism. Christianity versus communism. Or Marxism versus Christianity. We have to have these opposites fighting to create a synthesis. So how do you do that? You bring unbelievers into the church. You say the church is about unbelievers, whereas Ephesians 4 says the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. God was adding to the church as people were being saved. The word church means ecclesia, called out once. The church is for believers. The church is not for non-believers. doesn't mean you don't want non-believers to come in and hear the glorious gospel, but you don't cater to the unbeliever. Or and to yet, the, the secular Tyler, world, which is exactly what is being done here. And when you talk about preparing the world for the return of Jesus, we're only supposed to, to minister to, to Christians, to each other. It says nothing about transforming the world. It says you occupy as a Christian till the Lord returns. And if you're applying the Christianity to the world as though everybody is, is saved, then of course you're going to have a flawed view. I'm sorry for interrupting, Brandon, but no, it's just amazing that how far this goes. No, you're absolutely right, because Jesus said in John 18 that my kingdom is not of this world, it is not from here. If it were, my disciples would fight to keep me from being turned over to the Jews. So nowhere do we see where to build the kingdom of God on earth. Nowhere. God brings his kingdom in Daniel chapter 2. We don't build it. So again, you're right. So they, they've redefined what is a pastor. He's now a community organizer. They've redefined what is the church. It's now a community organization. They've redefined to say if you're not for progressive big government ideas, you're a racist because they, they wrap all of their 
big government, progressive, socialist, redistribution of wealth, reparations, ideas in racism and, and the idea of making up for the sins of our nation, which we've done, I think, in the war and poverty and the billions and billions and billions of dollars we've spent. But what they try to do is they guilt the white people to feel like they have to give up more money to make up for this injustice, as though you couldn't go around finding all kinds of people that have been treated with incredible injustice. Not to mention all of the white families whose family members died in the Civil War, not to mention all the white families who have been taxed into oblivion and, and have had a hard time providing for their own middle-class families in order for all these programs to happen. So what about the injustice of stealing? What about the injustice of stealing from all the uh, middle-class and upper-class, regardless of what people group they're from? But the goal is to make you feel guilty and therefore to willingly give up more of your income for a bigger government. But they've done it and wrapped it in Christian ideology and terminology so they can, again, brand you a racist if you're opposed to them and then brand you as a bad Christian if you don't believe in building the kingdom of God on earth. In fact, what it really goes back to is the idea of collective salvation. We, as, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe in individual salvation. No, we don't come to Christ as a group of people. We come as individuals. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me, right? The exclusivity of Christ, one person at a time, through faith and repentance. There's never a group. You don't come as a group uh, to get saved, meaning we all get saved as a group, and everybody in the group has to get saved, or none of us get saved. No, it's individualism. But they believe in collective salvation. And the reason they believe in collective salvation is they, again, believe that the way to get people to become a good person is by setting the right environment. If you set the right environment, then people will do what is right. If you have a bad environment, people will do what is bad. So what we have to do is in poverty, in crime, in all these things, make a stable and just society through social justice. Then once we have justice rolling down, man will now go out and do what is naturally good because man is a product of his environment. But what they're denying as really a communistic ideology is original sin. That men, man does what is wrong because they're inherently sinners because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And so we come to Christ individually for salvation, but they believe in collective salvation, getting everybody to agree, working together for justice, kind of a new age concept of uh, harmonic convergence, if you will, where we all work to create the right environment, then good things will happen, Things will spiritually evolve until eventually we have peace on earth and a utopian society. And that's exactly what Walter Rogenbush and his assistant, Harry F. Ward, who was a Marxist, said. He said that they believed in a changed attitude on the part of church members concerning the purpose and function both of the church and Christianity was needed. So in other words, the church was no longer going to be about going out and preaching the gospel, but about using it for, for social change, for collective salvation. And he went on to say... We differ from many Christian men and women who believe that if only men are personally converted, wrong and injustice will gradually disappear from the construction of society. It does not appear such to us. In other words, there are those Christians who believe that as people are saved individually, then yes, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the transformation of the gospel in their life, their life can change. They said, no, we don't believe in individual transformation through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit now indwelling someone and old things pass away, behold, all things become new. We believe you got to do it as a group, collective salvation. So again, they, this, these are the same guys that started the Federal Council of Churches that became the National Council of Churches, which were your modernists and your liberals in the 1950s. And again, many of the people that were opposing them in the 1950s 
were within mainstream conservative evangelicalism. Well, those people are dead now. And who's left and taking their place is now accepting them. So again, all of this goes back many years where they would wrap their ideology around their Marxism, around Christianity, so that people would have a hard time criticizing it. And it's working. I mean, well, yeah. I mean uh, this whole hour, uh, for, for those who've been paying attention, has been very informative. And also it should be very concerning to many of the, the Christians out there. And I'm sure, I know, Brandon, for sure that many of our audience members who are believers have left their church because the, the church is accepting of these things and, and promoting these things. And, you know, maybe that's not the, the way to go, leaving your church, yes, but opening up an avenue for an opportunity for Bible studies well, and other you things. You can't stick with the church that, you can't that, stick that, with the that, church, no. that perverts stalker. But you can all, if no. you have time and resources, you can also find ways to, uh, I don't know. You can start a church. Yeah, start you know, your own. You can get a couple people together in a home and start a home church. Uh, we don't see in the Bible these multi-million dollar complexes and one man, you know, acting kind of as this mini pope, acting as a CEO. Uh, we don't see that in the Bible. We see plurality of elders. So you can get a couple families together and start a church in your home. Many churches started out in someone's home before it got too big and they had to go to a building. But you don't have to sit there. How much time do we have left, guys? We have about three minutes left, brother. All right, let me give two you a minutes. quick minute, three quick two-minute overview. If you want to understand the true church versus this false neo-Marxist church that's evolving, here's a little chart I just came up with about ten days ago. Biblical gospel is what the true church believes in, a biblical gospel. The false church believes in a social gospel. The biblical church believes in individual salvation. The false church believes in collective salvation. The real church believes in the Great Commission. The false church believes in cultural transformation. The real church believes in making biblical disciples. The false church believes in making community activists like Saul Alinsky. The real church believes in biblical pastors. The false church believes in community organizers like Saul Alinsky. The real church believes in biblical unity, which is around biblical doctrine and theology. The false church believes in group consensus, which comes through compromise of theology. The real church believes in exegeting the scriptures, meaning teaching the scriptures in context. The false church believes in contextualizing the gospel of the scriptures, meaning dumb down the scriptures, make the scriptures mean whatever you want them to mean, to appeal to people's felt needs and human flesh. The real church believes in the fact that God will bring his kingdom. The false church believes they're going to build the kingdom of God through socialist utopian ideas. The real church believes in biblical theology. The false church believes in liberation theology, mixing Marxism with Christianity. The real church is persecuted for speaking truth. The false church persecutes those who speak truth. The real church is marginalized and vilified for speaking truth. The false church is the one marginalizing and vilifying those who are speaking truth. The real church believes that Jesus focused on spiritual poverty. The false church believes Jesus focused on material poverty. The real church says that the church goes into the world. Go ye therefore into the world and preach the gospel. The false church says bring the world into the church and cater to their felt needs. The real church says righteousness and unrighteousness do not mix. The false church says righteousness and unrighteousness mixing together brings a third way. Evangelicalism and socialist ideas. Christianity and Marxism. So they believe righteousness and unrighteousness brings the Hegelian dialectic process of a third way. The Brandon, real beliefs- I'm, I'm sorry, we're absolutely out of time. You took us right to the end. We, All right. And uh, we do appreciate it. Worldviewweekend.com. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon. We will have you back on in, in just a fascinating and, and educational hour. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. We will be right back after this short messages. Don't go anywhere. 
Thursday edition of the Hagman Report. I almost said Thursday. We are going to have Stan Dale with us in just a few moments. Just a few headlines I want to touch on real quick here while we're waiting for Stan. Uh, Robert Mueller warns he may subpoena Trump. No surprise there. Um, many people have thought and said it was going to come to this now. The questions are being raised. If he is subpoenaed, what does that mean for Donald Trump legally? And what does that mean for this probe? Uh, we're going to be talking more about that in the coming ignore, days, I'm sure. Ignore it. Uh, you know what? There's no reason. I, I can't think of one good reason why Donald Trump should even entertain the thought of talking with Mueller. No, I don't I don't think so either. Uh, it's a lose-lose. No, no, and, and I'll tell you something, okay? Um, I, I tell him, you know, as, as chief, I tell him to stick it. There's, look, we're, how many days now are we in the this? We were, uh, if I think, 467 today, because uh, yesterday was 466. No, no, it's uh, the special counsel. We're looking at about 350, roughly oh, okay. 350 days, counsel, okay. roughly. All right, so you got 350 days out of uh, uh, where where there's no Russian collusion, and I would defy anyone to find collusion in the legal dictionary in the context in which it's being presented. You know, um, imagine if we would have treated Obama this way, and some might say, "Well, you did because you questioned his legitimacy." Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, as well we should have, and, and and as right as correct we were and still are with respect to all of that. This, in this case, this is just, it's more than sour grapes. This is an attempt. At, this is an ongoing coup. Yep. Yeah. So there Based on, uh, on on the uh, lies drummed up by the Obama administration and, you know, the top people at the DOJ and FBI, like we've been talking about it's all Clinton, along. It's Clinton, Obama, weaponizing the DOJ yep. and the uh, FBI, and you know what? For that matter, the IRS and, and the yep. it, it, it is what it is. So, and that uh, goes back. And we we have Stan with us. We're going to bring him on. But if say somebody in the Trump inner circle leaked the Mueller questions, if the whole investigation is built on a on a scam. Does that even matter? Right? That, that's what I want to ask. Well, earlier, a, but. you know, that, that's a good question. And, and again, we're going to have Roy, Day, Captain Roy, uh, Captain Roy. <laughs> I see. Uh, uh, Captain Roy D. I, I was going to, I'm always, a, I, I was a little reluctant to use their f- full names, but Captain Roy D. He's out there on the front lines. Look, you know, and, and folks, fellow Reddit, Reddit, uh, people, investigators, um, your information is invaluable. Your work is invaluable. What you uncover is is important. So it, it's always good to get that. Go into the uh, citizen journalist area and to find out what you're developing from the various. A lot of these people have backgrounds, incredible backgrounds, government backgrounds, military background. Yeah, backgrounds. that's one of the things that I've noticed so, in in going to the conference and, and talking yeah. with other people who who follow what the, this this cube phenomenon is doing that they are a lot of people who have military and other backgrounds in intelligence and, and other law enforcement type backgrounds so it, that's an interesting area of this that we really haven't gone into yet but with that let's bring on stan dale stan, stan dale joins us each tuesday in hour three he has a show images page on his website standale.com there you click on the show images button on the right hand side of the page and then you follow that to the hagman report we, we were on the Hagman report. We were cheated out of him last week because our entire system went down. We we were pushing out so much bandwidth, and it, it was it was 
wasn't going anywhere because of some uh, some problems with the internet service provider itself. So anyway, and you're right. That does seem like so much longer than one week ago. Yeah, but anyway, it's like a month ago. Stan, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Good to see both of you guys. Yeah, good to be seen. Thanks, Doug. You've been traveling over east for what a week or two? Yes, yes, yes. It's been it's been a. It, uh, you said traveling, right? Well, going over to a conference. Yeah, yeah, it, yes. Yeah, uh, you know, you pack and then unpack and repack and unpack. Yeah, he had a DC trip right before yeah. the conference, so that put him on the road for most of the days uh, leading up to the conference. So tired, Stan. stressful, can be stressful. Tired. Yeah, I hate traveling. I hate traveling myself, but uh, going to be doing some of it here at the end of this month. Where are you going? To Tanzania. Yeah. Oh wow! You, you, you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at our show images page, uh, you can see my partners. We're uh, oh yeah, okay. around slide forty three through forty five. Uh, we've been getting all of our gear together here. You can see all this nice clover here and uh, my Indy Jones hat. And, uh, it's been around the world with me, but uh, got important things here like um, toilet shovel, <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> you, you know, when, when I have to need that. I want to stay home. Uh, well, where we're going, there won't be toilets there. So, Wait, okay, so, 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 what you doing? I think you just Hi. explained it. What you doing? I mean, what you're going to be doing? You're going to be digging around and. Well, uh, we're having to operate within the constraints of what the Tanzanian government let us do. But, um, we got together here, my, my partners and I on this, uh, several months ago and decided it would be a good thing for people who can't uh, go to Tanzania to see the Garden of Eden to go over there and film the various locations and explain to people you know, how this came from the Bible and how we found that part and this part and so forth. There are some areas that we wanted to shoot uh, from the air um, and that's proving uh, problematic with the uh, Tanzanian authorities. They've banned all uh, drone flyovers of all the national parks in Tanzania. Don't know why. Uh, but they did allow, I mean, this rule came out in 2015, but they did allow ABC Good Morning America to fly their drones through there when they went to the Garden of Eden, you know, as a special for two hours. Uh, they call it Africa's Garden of Eden, but it's, it's the real one. Anyway, um, we're trying to get permission uh, and to get answers back from the government. It's almost impossible. Six or seven times we tried to get through to them to say, look, can we just do this location and that location, you know, by air because it's important to see the, the, the scope of the thing that we're talking about up in the northwest in the, uh, the uh, area east, sorry, west of the Impakai crater. Uh, it shows where the water came up out of the ground, you know, to make the four great rivers that split the earth up. Um, and uh, so it's about 20 acre area and we want to be able to fly around the perimeter of it and into the middle because I'm not too sure how safe the middle of it is as far as mud and stuff. Mm. Um, but anyway, that's one of the things we're trying to do. We've mm. all had our shots now. Uh, I was talking to Jared, Christina the other day, the, my partner's there, and uh, we all complained uh, together about sore arms, not feeling the best for a couple of days. But we won't get cholera and uh, malaria and uh, yellow fever. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> I guess that's a plus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hate when that happens. That's why I hate to travel. 
Well, traveling to hotel to hotel is, is one thing. We, we do have a, a hotel that we're going to go to up on the, the crater rim, the main crater rim there at Ngoro. But you don't stay there. You know, you get out into your uh, Jeep and, and off you go up into the, the north or down into the south into the crater or around to where the uh, old Dubai Museum is where the, the Leakeys found the oldest hominid bones in the world. And where, you know, uh, DNA evidence says that mankind started, you know, humans started in that area. But when you get there, you have to go a long way around the outside of the crater and back up. And we're going to visit with, uh, two tribes with the Maasai and uh, they're, they've only been there 180 years or so um, in the region. They uh, came in and pushed the Datoga tribe down to the southwest off the plateau but the the Datoga tribes, there are about six of the branches of it um, have been there for maybe 3,000 years and their stories that we want to get to are the oldest uh, stories we can get to in the area. We'll have a translator for that one um, because one of the tribe's language is one of those type languages, you know, where you don't say words, and uh, you can really get in a lot of trouble there. But anyway, um, do so Stan, do that again. No, I'm no. not kidding. <laughs> uh, well, I, I just, uh, how do you do this? What do you do? Pick up, pick up the phone, and uh, who do you call to like get an appointment? Uh, it, uh, it, how? I don't even know what to say. I mean, well, look, you, we've told you about this on our website for you know, gosh, over a year at least. Right. Um, I have a Christian couple down there who own a business uh, that's uh, a tour business, and they're they've got a church there and everything, and they're they're African, born and raised in the area, so they know everybody about everything. And um, so they've been trying to get us to to come down there, you know, Holly and I, for some time, but we just couldn't really see the, the value of going down there just the two of us shutting our business down and all the expense of it for two weeks and uh, so now as it, it stands uh, Ollie's going to stay and manage the business for me while I run over there with uh, Jared and Christina and do videos all over the place uh, we're having to learn new equipment uh, uh, you know, video equipment steel cameras and things and uh, uh, buy a lot of things that they will probably need out there and uh, reading up on regulations it, one of the areas we want to go to is where I think the, the two trees, the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, were originally standing. Now, there's a raised area that can be seen from all over the, the crater floor of the Ngoro, which we think was the main part of the Garden of Eden. We wanted to get up there and uh, get out of the, the Jeep and stand on the spot where one tree was and then turn the camera around and look at the other spot and stand there. And uh, no, you can't do that. You cannot put your feet outside of the vehicle. Okay, you can't use drones, all right? So we're trying to figure out clever ways to film this stuff, uh, you know. But uh, okay. These are tech problems, but uh, we've got our man on the ground there uh, negotiating with the conservancy to try to get his permission to do this. Uh, let me just get that over there out of the way. Okay, it's too bright. And, Something uh, that should be pretty easy, you'd think, Stan, but apparently we, we, not we when get, you go to some countries, I guess. Well, this is what we don't understand. Um they want tourism. They want to preserve this area. You know, it's a national or international trust, UNESCO trust now, for the, the whole uh, Serengeti Plain to the west of the Garden of Eden, the Ngoro Crater Plateau. And so they've made it a secure world heritage. Um, certainly it's in the seven or eight wonders of Africa list. Uh, it should be in the, in the wonders of the world list, in my opinion, but uh, they'll catch up eventually. 
Um, but you'd think they want more tourism. They, they get maybe in Tanzania, three quarters of a million people a year. They get kings and queens, prime ministers and stuff coming to visit the Ngoro and other places too. And you'd think, well, gosh, they jumped the opportunity for me to reach another million people and showing them the, the facilities they have there and the things to see and uh, trips to make, you know, and uh, what to do. And, you know, no answers back from them. And even our man on the spot there, Pendele, he, uh, he's with Elyon Tours. Um, he owns it. Um, has been trying his best to get us uh, to at least talk or email back and forth with the Conservancy. And I don't know why they're not answering. Uh, when you've got somebody that lives there, talks to them, can drive over to their office and still get no answers back, it's a mystery. Mm. So anyway, but with these restrictions, we're, we're going to go over there. And uh, funny things, like it's a great place to visit. You know, if you're not into film and everything like that, you get over there and it's a piece of cake. You know, they take you around and they give you all the instructions about mm, how much money to have to tip the, you know, the various people that do things for you and, uh, not to carry too much and not to wear blue clothing if you're going out into the bush where we are. You know, blue clothing, this is a no-no because the seat sea fly that give you the sleeping sickness love blue and they will be attracted to you and bite you. Uh, so we have all these tan things. That's good to know. Wow. No, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah, reasonable. Um, and then, um, let's see, what else? Oh, and you have to learn a little bit of Swahili for the, uh, the Maasai. It's just a, a politeness thing. So, um, the three of us have been, um, kicking around, you know, you know, uh, uh, Ojambo, hello, and, uh, various things and, uh, how to count and how to ask for the men's, women's toilets in Swahili and, you know, simple stuff like that. But it shows that you tried to at least learn their language so they always suggest that you learn a few key phrases and words and stuff like that which we're doing uh we've uh, got been daily to hire us it's kind of like going uh, to mississippi <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never mind <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm gonna get emails now i i know it i know it yeah uh, we're right. we're hiring a, a another guide up in daily is a, a Maasai guide it's an elder to take us up to the northwest where we want to see this area where the, the springs are, the hot springs that uh, provide all the water to make the four great rivers. And uh, he is uh, going to be kind of a historian for the Maasai for us as well. So we'll have him and we'll have our, our uh, tour guide, uh, Pendele, who does speak the local language. And in fact, uh, the Swahili is the, now the national language of Tanzania. They're trying to standardize things. But the, uh, the Maasai still speak their own dialect. And uh, there are a couple of those. So yeah, those are the things you have to do. Um, wow. in, learn not to drink the water. Um, keep your mouth shut when you're taking a shower, and uh, don't eat lettuces or salads. You know things like that. Uh, otherwise, you could be in trouble. Uh, when I went here to get my shots at the health department, they said they give you all this instruction too, and, and they say uh, you know, uh, uh, and uh, obviously don't uh, don't eat these things that are available as far as moisture and stuff to the uh, the atmosphere to people handling it because you can get some real bad sicknesses um, and uh, diarrhea and I said oh yeah well that's probably true I'll just take some some uh, of these little you know Imodium tablets that we get off the shelf oh no 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 we're going to prescribe a three day super anti-diarrhea tablet for you <laughs> Imodium won't work at what's over there so you get all these briefings about stuff and you think why are we going really? Uh, what, what's the, 
Yeah, where's yeah. the upside? Yeah. They don't have like a Five Guys or a Mickey D's or a Burger King there or nothing like that? Oh, I don't know, but um, we're, we're going there not only to film that, but we're going there to uh, get some of the gemstones from the locals and make contacts with local suppliers for, you know, the Tanzanian rubies and Tanzanite, the blue stone. Uh, it will go down into Arusha, which is uh, underneath, you know, down the slopes about 60 miles from the crater, and we'll spend a day there with the merchants uh, sifting through diamonds and hard thing to do. And... Uh, the Tanzanite rubies and emeralds and stuff will have hands full of them to 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 look at. So, um, can, now can you can you bring those back? I mean, are are you able to bring stuff back? Uh, yeah, to a degree, depending on the quantity and whether they're faceted or not. Um, Jared and Christina have the Black Sea jewels, which we have links to on our show image page there, down around right, you know, forty five or so. I forget where it is in the slides, but we're looking at these uh, types of gems so that we can make jewelry that's, you know, the majority of it is not, uh, you know, like expensive over-the-top type stuff, but it'll have real stones from the Garden of Eden area, from the land of Eden, which surrounds the garden. <clears throat> you can't take dirt, you can't take stones from inside the crater. It's just for, you know, forbidden. But you can go down to merchants, make deals, and eventually have and some of the rest of them export the stuff to us, you know, legally, so that we have uh, stuff that's been ethically mined and uh, delivered to us. Uh, we'll meet some of the miners while we're there, and uh, certainly uh, ask them a few questions about what they've found when they've been digging, because the mines are just kind of holes and hillsides and stuff, but when they bring out stuff, it's not always just what you expect. So We've been talking to a couple dealers down there already, uh, so it, it, it's kind of oh. a you know, um, you know, a person's dream if you're into jewelry and stuff to go down there. I mean, imagine going to King Solomon's, you know, treasure trove and coming up with a handful of goodies here. I mean, I've already seen some of the stuff down at the rubies. You just have hands full of them like that. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, we're going to get some red dirt uh, from the, the actual land of Eden, not from the, the conservancy. And uh, we'll have some actual dirt like the red dirt that uh, God made Adam and uh, from and put into the, the garden. We're trying to tie uh, people to the land, to the garden, and to the the Genesis account of the creation of man by God, and also show how the natives over there knew about God coming down uh, from the heavens into the crater, building man, and then putting man outside the crater, and well, man and woman, and then going back up into the sky. And there's one mountain on the north side of the plateau there of the Garden of Eden, which is called the Mountain of God, Old Oino, in the local tongue. Um, so we're hoping that this will, and the video that we'll put up on YouTube and stuff, will solidify in people's minds that the Bible is real. The description, the location given for the, the Garden of Eden is correct, which then means you can trust a lot of the old stuff, if not every every word of it in the Bible in the original languages. Um, so that's that's kind of a ministry for us doing that. Uh, we're taking a gamble, and uh, you know uh, we want to share this with people. Important work, very interesting and important. I think, I think, uh, well, with with everything that we're seeing, uh, the recent find in Israel, uh, King David. Or the, uh, yeah, did you see that, Stan? There was an article. There's been a few articles over the last few days. I think one was from the Sun today, where they believe they've yeah. found the site of the city of King David. 
Well, it's one of his, it's one of his, um, uh, cities that he visited. Uh, there was, it's not actually the city of David because we think that's in, uh, right close to the base of the Temple Mount in a place called Ophel. Okay. But, um, this city is, uh, they're trying to find proof in this city by <clears throat> finding stones or, um, pottery or things that have etched in it in the time of David the king or things like that. So I did see that. Holly's got it up on our front page here on the, uh, uh, news site for standout.com. If you go down about almost to the bottom, you'll see a picture, a mosaic of a king, you know, and then some rocks and stuff. And it's that, um, uh, that article there. Uh, uh, I hope that they will find more evidence than they've found so far. They have found a mention of King David in some of the, uh, stones of another nation up north, uh, north of Israel, uh, mentioning King David, but they can't they can't find his grave. They can't find, you know, uh, evidence of him and, and uh, Solomon uh, in the archaeological digs. And this is very important, obviously. So anything that even says that King David was here or beat this city or visited it or whatever is important. And that's why this particular find uh, is important. Um, you know, if you read the article, you see what I'm talking about. They, um, it, it's a very weak link, but it is still a link to uh, King David. Yeah, they said they, they have not found any actual um, items that they've dug up that they can attribute to King Solomon or King David. But as you mentioned, apparently on, on a stone uh, in this city, they made reference to uh, David. And they believe that this is a part of the beginnings of his empire, if you will, of his of his ministry. Um, that the, the city, this city was one of the ones that was in the beginning of his um uh, of his movement as it dates to the same time period and has uh, other similarities as I read in the article, but they've never found any artifact that they can link to or ascribe to King David or King Solomon? Well, other than mentions, one mention of something about um, up in the Lebanon region, I think it was, where they found a stila that had the mention of, uh, in passing, of the of King David. Uh, other, other than that, let me just close this. I've got something here in my ear. Um, I don't think they found any artifacts, uh, you know, or coins minted, or any of that kind of stuff. That's what they've been sifting through the rubbish that that the um, uh, Muslims dug out of the Temple Mount and just threw away. It was filled with a bunch of backfill and garbage. So they just took all that stuff and took it in tip trucks and went off and dumped it off to the side without even sifting through it for archaeological value. So uh, <clears throat> the Israeli government organized a, a number of people and still ongoing to go through that great pile of dirt and rock and rubble that the, the uh, Muslims moved out of the Temple Mount sifting through for coin or a fragment of anything to say in the time of Solomon or in the time of uh, David and as yet they're not finding this which is, is quite uh, disconcerting as you might imagine so anything that proves that uh, David existed it was there or Solomon existed and was there um, will settle a lot of problems as far as the Temple Mount and things that the Israelis want to do, and the Christians as well in the area. Very interesting, and obviously there's uh, a lot of uh, archaeological digs in, in Israel, and I think there's still a lot more to go, but it's amazing how much, I mean, just in the last 10, 20 years that they've uncovered in the, uh, you know, ruins of cities and other things that have been, uh, you can you can point to biblical history and say, you know, this matches to here and this matches to here. And I'm excited to see what more comes out in the, you know, coming months and years of the 
digs in Israel. I think uh, we haven't even really scratched the surface on what they should be able to find there. I know. And with them opening up, with uh, Mohammed bin Salman, Prince bin Salman uh, of Saudi Arabia, opening up uh, the country to fly over and to tourism, there are going to be more and more archaeological finds uh, discovered there. And we're hoping that there will be some down in the uh, southern portion near Yemen, uh, but still in Saudi Arabia, that will lead us to um, proof that uh, King Solomon and, and uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, what's her name? Um, Bathsheba. That there's evidence of that down there. And if they can uh, excavate that, I'm sure that we'll find more. And then it will prove that Solomon and Sheba had the relationship. And uh, there's also a place over in uh, northeast Africa where we think there also is evidence of Menelik, who was, you know, supposedly the son of Solomon, Sheba, uh, ruled. And perhaps there, if they let us dig in some of those areas, they've, they've forbidden it, some of the streets that are covered uh, over the top of old hotels. But, uh, as you say, uh, Israel and people supporting Israel have become very interested in the stones, you know, uh, which tell the history and been digging it up, just as the Bible said we would. We'll get to it. it uh, it'll come. Mm. Interesting. Kind of switching gears here, if we can, Stan. There's a, a whole bunch going on. I don't know how much you want to get into of the uh, Israeli announcement of the lies from the Iranian nuclear deal, the uh, Israel striking a weapons depot in Syria, an Iranian weapons depot in Syria, or anything else you got on your show images page. I see you got something here called a, a water computer. Hmm. Uh, you got a, an interesting piece on, on the uh, usage of, of wood and how it's making a comeback in military application versus metals. And a whole bunch of other stuff. Where do you want to go? Well, certainly uh, current events uh, with the uh, Israel, with Iran, and Syria, and Saudi Arabia. All these things are still in a mess over there. Um, we did see, what was about seven to ten days ago, somewhere in that period of time, where there were shots fired, multiple shots, uh, around Prince uh, uh, Ben Salman, King Salman's pal- palace at night. And I saw the videos of the other people that was made on an iPhone. And they said they were shooting down a drone. Either they're bad shots or, you know, there was something else going on there. I've been checking to see. I've had a couple of, like, unsubstantiated rumors come to me by email saying that it's leaking out that there was an attempt on Prince Ben Salman's life by a group of princes um, from the other side of the family, not the Saud side, that wanted to uh, depose him and his father and take over Saudi Arabia. Um, one report even said that he'd been uh, shot and, and uh, killed. Um, I can't find anything to substantiate that. So it's just I'm, I'm reporting rumor and treated as rumor. And I think that people got really excited about that when it looked like he might have been wounded and the Antichrist is wounded. And they thought that that would be it. So I think I've seen enough here in recent news in the last couple of days that show that uh, Prince Salman is truly alive and negotiating a deal for peace uh, in Israel and he's told the Palestinians uh, the MBS has told the Palestinians behave yourself, quit whining uh, we're going to settle this, you want some land we're going to arrange the peace deal, come to the table don't uh, keep knocking back the peace treaty we're trying to offer between you and Israel, let's settle this and if you do then you know I'm going to put money into into the Palestinian effort and uh, you know life will be much, be much better for you and uh, so here we have him trying to do that, and it's being reported current times, so he's alive and well and negotiating a treaty. Now, over in 
in Syria, we have um, the Iranian presence there so close with the bases that have been bombed recently by uh, the United States and Israel. They're so close that you couldn't stop a missile attack uh, that they would launch being so close to Israel. I mean, we're talking tens of miles at maximum. Um, So you can understand why there's a point when the intelligence tells you, okay, like Netanyahu showed, that the Iranians have nukes and and, uh, they have missiles in place, that it's time to take them down. You can't wait until they blast the heck out of your country because there's not enough of the country left, you know, after that. I mean, it's only about the middle of it, like 17 miles across and stuff. Um, People just don't realize how small it is until you get there and walk around and you see that. But um, we are at the edge, at the very beginning of a war between Israel and Iran. And uh, the Russians will back the Iranians, and, of course, um, Assad will help them as well. But the only people left out of the game will be the the revolutionaries trying to overthrow Assad in, in Syria. Other than that, the the uh, the Russians, uh, the Iranians, uh, and uh, Assad troops all want Israel gone. So they're uh, they're helping uh, the Iranians to get their equipment, you know, their missiles and weapons in place. And in Lebanon, we have the same thing. You know, Lebanon's on the coastal side, touching the north coast of Israel or the north border of Israel. So they're surrounded there. Uh, and of course, Egypt, there's a little distance between them and Egypt, but Saudi Arabia and Jordan are real close to Israel. So having Saudi Arabia as an ally in this is very important. But I'm still very, very suspicious of this sudden, uh, let's be friends by MBS and, um, uh, Nate and Yahoo get together after 3,000 years of being the immortal enemies. You have to be cautious of that. Yeah. Just like many people are cautious of what Kim Jong-un is stating as far as uh, denuclearization and a peace agreement and, you know, coming together with, with South Korea, I, I hear a lot of Americans are very hesitant to believe that this is true and not some sort of trap. I guess it, it even applies a hundredfold more when talking about, uh, you know, Israel versus Saudi Arabia and the historical uh, aspect of, of them being enemies and to see them come together now. And, uh, you know, I can understand, what, what, how's the saying go? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, right. I, I understand that, but, um, you know, there, uh, who knows how this is going to play out? We, we know what the Bible tells us and we know we can trust that, but anything and everything can happen in between. And it does look like after Pompeo met with Netanyahu on Sunday, after the Israeli strikes on the Iranian weapons depot in Syria, and the Netanyahu uh, presentation about Iranian lying about the nuclear deal, it seems like this is all uh, a lot more choreographed. And then you throw in the MBS in Saudi Arabia, jumping on board the Israeli bandwagon, even saying they have a right to exist. It all seems more choreographed and planned out than we maybe are understanding right now. I think it'd be you know a good time to know the rules of chess because I think we're seeing a lot of that played out mm-hmm. in the international scene. Uh, slide 57 on my show images page there, I have a picture of uh, MBS with uh, some of his key generals and officers in the uh, military there. And he's promising a second uh, crackdown, a wave of crackdown on corruption, you know, in quotes, um, of the other princes and uh, royal members, uh, members of the royal family there. So this might be why they're wanting to take him out. Yeah, you can see that there in the picture. He's the one in the pink scarf in the front there. And so he's he's getting ready. It's no secret to, to make another pogrom and uh, arrest a, a bunch of uh, 
his fellow you know, royal family members and uh, either put them in jail or disappear them or take money from them because of their quote unquote corruption or their treason in trying to overthrow the government. So they've got their own internal problems and uh, you know MBS is doing a lot all at once to um, get the support of the young people, you know, the under 30s uh, in this country, which are the majority of the population now. Opening up movie theaters, uh, you know, letting women drive, uh, that might not seem like a lot, but in that country it's going against the traditional uh, Islamic rule and uh, for for the Wahhabi uh, type rule. Um, I suspect that we're going to see a sudden uh, action with Iran uh, in the near future coming down the Golan Heights. Um, this is just, I mean, it's such a hot spot for Netanyahu and his troops, his government, to try to defend because it, there's not a river between them there at the Golan Heights. You can just drive right into Israel. Um, and of course, you can launch missiles from there and from uh, from the Lebanon, which touches it uh, on the north border. Um, they need Saudi Arabia, so this is forcing the friendship. But I think in the end that Saudi Arabia will lead a consortium of other Arab nations um, and control the Middle East and will tell Israel what to do. You know, it, it won't be as peaceful as it is now. But right now, I think they're they're playing a game of chess. Uh, now. On, you know how the Bible says that uh, after the invasion of Israel that they'll, they'll burn the weapons of war for seven years. A few years back, there was a great bit of excitement in the Christian community uh, for those who study prophecy, saying that you know the Russians have been making uh, rifle stocks out of lignostone, which is a compressed wood, layers of wood and resin and various other things, which is a very strong uh, material, but you can still burn it. And so they were saying, well, if the Russians come down to that invasion and their troops are all killed on the ground there, then they would be gathering up these uh, wood, wooden stocks of the rifles and stuff and burning them. But I found in looking here at, at slide 60 uh, about wood, and if you get slide 60 up there, go to the actual site. <laughs> yeah, this was interesting, Steve. And I started reading this um, today, right after you came on. And this is what I was talking about, the use of wood... Uh, taking over uh, some military applications with with weapons, and they're being looked at even more so than metals. Uh, yeah, well, they're, it's interesting. They're, it is, it is, and they're using uh, nanocellulose. In other words, cellulose is what comes from wood. Uh, you burn that, but they're making small forms of cellulose, nano, you know, like nanites, but nanocellulose, and it's broken down to that very level, and then recombined with other uh, composite materials. And they say it's as strong as steel and Kevlar, but much lighter. Uh, they're thinking it's going to be a replacement uh, material for a lot of the heavy metal things uh, that military and civilian people use, for instance. Um, one of the things they were looking at was lightweight armor, like, uh, you know, little um, 105-type, uh, you know, tanks, small tanks that drive around, uh, other vehicles. Um, those are, I guess, weapons of war if you're, you're carrying troops and, and uh, materials into Israel. Um, they have, uh, what are, they want to use it for helmets, uh, for uh, soldiers' helmets, obviously for wood stocks, uh, for weapons. Um, and Even anyway, replace Kevlar, uh, they say, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's the strongest Kevlar, and it's not as stiff. Kevlar, if you've ever used it, it's very stiff. And uh, this stuff will be more flexible, which will make it uh, a lot easier for the troops to use and move around. Um, but anyway, go read that article. You'll see, keep an eye on this uh, this company and their developments of that. Uh, I think we can now return to the the idea that we're going to see uh, wooden weapons of war, but they're nanocellulose, or, you know, small pieces of wood at a nano level that are put together and make these very strong materials, tanks and whatever. That's that was that was the main reason for showing that uh, we're not we're not giving up, uh, you know, the uh, the fact that Russia might have weapons of lignostone or something like that coming down. They they said it was a false, you know, bit of excitement because the Russians weren't really using it. They were only testing it, and it wouldn't be in use today because it, it uh, uh, there were field problems with it as far as water and, 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 and you know, like, um, in what do you call it, um, in bacteria, bacterial infections into it that make it weak, and so it wasn't used. And uh, so I... I uh, I think this article here puts it back in the game, and uh, so just keep an eye on them, see what they're doing there. Defense Department is, is looking at using a lot. I've actually got some of the lignostone here. What you can see there in that picture with the threaded rod and the, the bolts or, or the nuts on it, um, I have that here in the, uh, the workshop uh, just to just to play with, and it's uh, reasonably strong. It's very lightweight. Um, <clears throat> there's an interesting shot there, uh, just for beauty's sake in slide 59 if you bring that up get on your screen slide 59 click on the picture yeah there it is this is a picture of Saudi Arabia taken from the air or satellite over the Indian Ocean and it's a beautiful picture but it kind of gives you an idea of where the population uh, is located in that Saudi peninsula which was originally Atlantis too um the, in the center of it where you see kind of a little like bow, like a, like a bow and arrow, but a bow shape in the middle, you'll see that, um, very bright spot. And that's Riyadh. That's where MBS and his father live, King Salman. And to the west of that, there are some really big mountains, as you can see there. Um, and out in the south, in the closest portion to you on the screen, where there are no lights, that's called the empty quarter, the Rob al-Khali. And it's just filled with sand. Everything was there. It's under many, many feet of sand uh, after the asteroid impacted off the east coast of India and buried this whole portion of the Saudi Peninsula in um, seabed and mantle uh, of your life. Um, anyway, that gives you a feel, as I say, of where uh, Iraq and Iran are up in the, the edges of that picture across the Persian Gulf. Um, and it, to me, it just kind of made it all feel like I could reach out and touch it. That's the main value of that particular image. And you can click it and zoom it up if you want and look at uh, various portions there at some other time. Wow. <clears throat> that is, boy, that, 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 put things, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? It does. And uh, if you'll notice where you got your cursor there on the, on the, uh, the coast there, yeah, that's yep. right. Um, that is being developed in that area there as more Western tourism on these little islands and stuff, uh, so that you can come in there and you don't have to, the women don't have to wear, you know, face coverings or any of that kind of stuff. And the Western women can relax, you know, obviously the men can too on the islands there. And so they're, they're wanting to draw a lot of tourism into that area. In fact, 
there's just a heap of what uh, Mohammed bin Salman is doing that is turning the country into a tourist mecca. Um, I'm more interested in the archaeological digs for, for obvious reasons. Uh, there's so much more we can find out there if they just let us get in there with, uh, you know, drones or with um, normal aircraft uh, using LIDAR, you know, so that you can image underneath the sand and see the buried cities and stuff. They're just a wealth of information. This is one of the last great undiscovered, uh, unexcavated territories in our history. What so you, much. What would you expect to find, for example, in that sandy area or, or anywhere? What would you, what might you expect to find? Well, zoom it back out, and if you um, if you look at where the cinder is there at Riyadh up there, right. uh, that was kind of uh, the archaeological or sorry, the, the agricultural center there uh, of what they call the, the fertile plain. It was an area about uh, thirty thousand square miles, was it, hundred by three hundred, something like that, and it's a long rectangular uh, area there. I would expect to find buildings houses, um, streets and things between that light and off to the to the Persian Gulf to the upper right there, which is that other green body of water. If you follow that line, you see that kind of uh, line of lights that runs right across the middle from the left up through Riyadh there in the center and points toward the Persian Gulf. If you follow that line in your mind, it's going to strike where the capital of Atlantis was, which is Damam Island. And that's, it's a round island that's been joined now, then the, the, the sand has joined it back to the mainland there. But that's where oil was first discovered after World War II. That's the, the Saudi wealth and all the Arab wealth came from that area. And so I would expect to find underneath there, for instance, um, circular rings, you know, moats and land and stuff showing that they surrounded Poseidon's castle for his wife. Um, and then if you go further up, toward the left, upper left portion of the thing. Um, up in there, we're going to find giant bones and other structures of these hybrid beings up near Jordan and the tip, of the northern tip of Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, I, I think there will be a lot of things to find that were buried deep under the sand. Uh, I've already found some that, uh, that defies explanation at the moment. I mean, these are like grid lines that are cut through solid stone mountains and, 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 uh, and uh, like floor of, of sand and stuff, but all in a straight line, you know, through very hard materials, very soft materials, but very straight lines that had to be done with something big, uh, you know, from the air or something. So I think we're going to find even advanced technology. In fact, that's right. Over, um, let's see, um, over on the west coast of the Persian Gulf there, they have found in past, and this is like 40 years ago even, when they dug down uh, into the depths of these islands, they found technology was getting more advanced the deeper they got. So it's, it's supporting the Atlantean advanced technology thing. The, like the uh, citric acid batteries they had over in, in uh, Iraq, you know. Those kind of things, we will be finding those deeper down we go. And if, with LIDAR, it'll help us to locate some of these uh, sub-sand features that we can't see, and we'll know where to dig and excavate to get to these things. The, this is where um, the Satan polluted the Adamic man. The, this was where it all kind of started and caused the flood. Um, these hybrid human-animal beings and, and the hybrid uh, humans with, uh, with um, the Nephilim. All this occurred right here. It's so very important, and it's been denied us uh, until now, and MBS is going to be letting that happen. But... 
I think uh, for his own purposes, that will be to show that it's where, you know, our elder brothers of space started all this and some kind of nonsense like that. That's why it's important to me anyway. Yeah, I can see, I can see where that would fit the narrative that would be used. Hmm. It's like going to the moon, you know, that it, you, you couldn't reach it. And this is that area where we couldn't reach it. It's just so hostile. I mean, you, you look at this and you think, oh, it's just a little bit of sand. But when you get out in the middle of it, it's many, many miles of sand and no water, no roads or anything. Uh, so opening this up will be really a, a major input to the history of mankind. Interesting. Well, yeah, I imagine if it's never been dug out before, it just as you said, just the giant bones alone would, would provide tremendous insight. Uh, but who knows what's there? Is, is there any technology? I mean, using that, uh, just looking at that 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 image, is there any technology that could be used to? I don't know. Get a better idea? Yeah, dig down without digging down. Yeah, depending on how deep it is. If we're looking like over on the south uh, east corner there to the right, if you're looking there, you may have to go down two or three miles. Uh, so that's pretty limiting, but. Uh, as it gets shallower going up toward Riyadh, yes, you can use uh, LIDAR. You can use um, uh, uh, kind of like ultrasound for the ground, your ground penetrating radar. Right. Uh, and that is limited to probably, what, uh, 15 feet to 20 foot, something like that. But um, you might hit the top of anomalies without going any deeper because the sand would have packed in over certain structures harder than others. Will give you the outline of stuff that's way down deeper than the, the ground penetrating radar can actually go, but you you hit the top of the deformities in the sand. Uh, to me, it is just you know, a great unexplored resource of, of our history, and mm. uh, we have technologies well in orbit that will allow us to uh, penetrate a little bit deeper, but that requires permission by the, the Saudis and uh, release of the information by our governments. I think it's time, you know. To, to pressure that area to to get this history back, just so much there. Wow, interesting. Well, circling back around to the opening topic, when, when are you leaving, uh, Stan, for your on your trip? Uh, we'll be leaving on the twentieth, getting back uh, the thirty first of May. So, okay, wow. Some other things on. Uh, well, mm-hmm. you can question that if you want, uh, but uh, I was going to uh, talk a little bit about the sun here. Um, we have a problem with this solar cycle 24, uh, the sunspot cycle. Normally, you, you know, they, they make predictions about, uh, when the minimum sunspot number will occur in a solar cycle and then it will rise back up. And, uh, they do this statistically, which is the best we can do at this point because we don't know really the inner workings of the sun that well. And you'll see in slide 61 and 62, uh, 61 shows the plot of sunspots between the last cycle, 23, and current cycle, that a red arrow showing where we are now. Um, this sunspot cycle just was weird. It uh, it had two peaks in it instead of one peak, uh, well-defined double peaks. And now then, the the surface of the sun is showing no sunspots. 60%, you know, of this, this cycle has had, you know, in the low part, has had no sunspots. Um, it's quite... Extraordinary. They don't know why, but they say, well, we can expect this, you know, statistically that uh, we'll have uh, some solar sunspot cycles that will drop like this, but it's rapidly dropping to, to nothing. I mean, the surface of the sun is clean at the moment. If you look at it, they don't know why. Um, and 
in slide 62, it says, ask 12 scientists, you know, to predict uh, the uh, progression of a solar sunspot cycle, and you'll get 54 answers out of 12 scientists uh, using various methods. And so it doesn't really give you great confidence that they know what they're doing yet. Uh, it's such a wide span of that. You can see from that graph there, yeah. Uh, over on the left, you've got like 40, and then on the right, you're up at around 170. And, and these are estimates of um, sunspot numbers and things that they did on this particular test. Um, I, I thought the neural network would probably, uh, you know, uh, that's about the fourth one, the fourth one down in blue on the left. The neural network is artificial uh, brains, like human brains. They tried to, to uh, emulate that with what they call neural networks. And I thought that would probably be the best uh, solution. And it does appear to come mm, in the top two-thirds of, of the uh, forecast models. But anyway, um, I think the sun is about, you know, it's getting ready to do some extraordinary things to uh, do the, the disasters that we see mentioned in the Revelation of John. And the sun going dark, the sun being surrounded by a cloud of dust and, uh, you know, blocking the light to the, to the moon and, uh, you know, then all of a sudden being brighter, seven times brighter than normal, uh, you know, burning the trees and grass on one part of the, one side of the, the earth. All this <clears throat> would need for the sun to do something extraordinary. And I, I believe in a younger universe. I believe in a young earth. And I, I have scientific reasons for doing that. Uh, and using that basis, the age of our sun would put it in the category of it could do something weird like start to become a red giant or throw off a shell. Um, instead of waiting, you know, a billion or two years to do that, it's going to do it in um, decades. Uh, if we're in that period of time where the, the uh, tribulation period mentioned in the, the Bible is going to occur, and I think we are. <clears throat> Very interesting. Okay, earthquakes, slide 63. Um, there have been, uh, you know, a few people saying that uh, they think that, that we're seeing an earthquake swarm indicating that uh, we're going to see some big earthquakes. That what we're seeing on the west coast of the United States up in Alaska um, are, in fact, I think you can probably zoom that up a bit. Yes, you can. Up in Alaska, you can see the yellow kind of uh, color pattern over which the earthquakes are, are plotted. That's uh, earthquake hazard zone that USGS maps out. And you can see that we're starting to, to get a number of smaller, you know, Victor 1, one and a half, two earthquakes coming uh, offshore up into there. And if you'll look, there's a cluster of, um, there, right there, yeah, that one. That cluster has become active with uh, significant earthquakes right there on the plate tectonic line or border. And then if you follow that right on up into the uh, north, I guess the northeast part of Alaska, that whole area up in there is showing stress relief signs of, of small stressors, which indicate a bigger one is coming. It's like when you take a piece of um, a plastic, you know, a clear plastic, and start to bend it slowly, you'll see little micro fractures start until all of a sudden, bang, you've got the big snap and the plastic plate breaks. Now, uh, Zoom back out and then go back out into uh, California, that area there. Um, we've got activity. Yeah, where your arrow is, go up. Yeah, there you are. Okay, uh, up at the, a uh, little bit higher, up into the Juan de Fuca plate, that, that uh, elephant foot thing there. There you go, up a little bit higher. 
seeing earthquakes, you know, in threes, you know, Richter three up to Richter four and five in that area, um, does indicate to me that we're seeing the beginning of some more pressure release, a seismic pressure release. We think, in fact, we know from the scientific data that eventually that area up there is going to release a Richter nine plus earthquake and uh, also ensuing tsunamis along the coast there of Oregon and southern part of Washington. Um, so the kind of unofficial wisdom at the moment is that we may be seeing the big one triggering other earthquakes along the west coast coming soon. I think before it does happen or as it's starting to happen, we will see a number of volcanoes start to become active in the Cascadia subduction zone. So keep an eye on the on, the, on that because Yellowstone's not part of Cascadia, but Yellowstone's, you know, uh, steamboat has become active. The geyser there is, is hot. And if you look over in the lower left of, the, of your image there where Hawaii is, its volcanic activity has been attended by a number of earthquakes there. Uh, you'd have to move your cursor down the lower left, I think. You can't see it from there, but... Um, yeah, a little bit further uh, over to your left. There you go. And that's Hawaii. And so it's active. Yellowstone's active. And so I'm looking for activity in the Cascadia volcanoes. And also keep an eye on the uh, Popocatépetl down near Mexico City because uh, the Sierra Madres may connect up into the to Cascadia subduction zone and there may be volcanic activity there that we need to watch, which will be a precursor to these massive changes on the West Coast. The New Madrid uh, fault line, you can see that there in your picture. It's got a few kind of, you know, Richard two, three type earthquakes. Um, so, yeah, we don't see those every week, but uh, again, it is a, a weakness in our plate. And uh, I suspect it's right on the edge of the Craton, which, you know, is a stable area up toward Canada, but down south and east and west of that area is unstable. So we can see some massive shifts by earthquakes there. Just keep an eye on those areas. Okay, that's enough for earthquakes. Uh, now down down to uh, slides 49 through 51. This is on uh, fluid computers, uh, you know, uh, fluidic computers. I mentioned it on your show a couple weeks ago uh, in passing that I remembered reading about it uh, in my youth. And uh, one of your listeners uh, wrote in and said, look, um, yeah, I worked on these things. They are called fluidic computers and... Uh, you know, look up these things and, uh, you know, share it with the audience, which is what I've done. Um, these, uh, yeah, that's a circuit. That's a, uh, like a, like an integrated circuit, if you want, or like a, a computer circuit, but with fluids. They don't have to be water. They can be other kinds of fluids, but the, uh, say the yellows and the reds or, or the blues, these are circuits where pressurized fluids are driven or locked in by a gate and then opened up and you can form binary you know, type uh, structures to to emulate what we do with electronics, but using it with fluid flow. Now, why is this important? These things are are bulkier. They're they're certainly many times bigger than electronic computers, digital computers we use now. But they would allow somebody like Russia and and us. We both experiment with this to have backup computer systems that aren't as fast, aren't as wonderbar as what we've got now. You know, in uh, our our back rooms uh, and in our our iPhones and stuff. But they are going to be useful after we've had an EMP, uh, several EMPs, nuclear attacks and, and solar EMPs, things like that. These things operate on fluidic pressure, and they don't have to have electricity normally uh, to, to do this. But, uh, you know, you can use generators to drive them. 
these things are virtually impervious to EMP strikes. So that's part. Hopefully, yeah. we never have to use or depend on those. But yeah, well, this is progress. I mean, it, this led to uh, eventually to our own digital electronic things we've got now. But it was really quite fascinating that it could be used to back up uh, military and civilian systems after we've had EMPs. So mm-hmm. they've they've been doing backroom research. And it's quite important. Look at slide forty eight quickly. It's uh, you can look at it uh, later, but you press on that. It's a video guy took of a tornado coming off the coast of you know off the mainland of Florida back out into the the bay where his ship was, and then moving back inland. And one of the things that I wanted people to do is to watch that video and see uh, where the, the pieces of debris are. They're not being sucked sideways into the the center of that uh, tornado and up inside of it. They're not. The winds on the outside are spinning around like this and going up toward the cloud. So the vacuum or the suction of it is in that very thin wall on the outside spinning up like that. That's why you'll see trees and telephone poles, trucks and things stuck on the outside, not up the center of the tornado. In the center, you'll notice down to where it gets very confused where it hits the ground or the water. The hot, warm air comes down from the cloud in that funnel, comes down, spinning down in the center of that, hits the ground or the water, spins back up around the outside to conserve momentum. And so that's why you have high-pressure warm air in the center coming down, and then on the outside you have the spiraling stuff climbing back up. It's something that I talk about in um, the gemstone papers uh, that I have on our, our shopping cart, where I've done that mathematically and showing how this is like direct current electricity flows. In fact, there's a lot of electricity involved in, in a tornado and in a hurricane as well. So very interesting. And slide 46 is something to look at, uh, you know, after we get off the air. Go and look at this beautiful thing that uh, they made from a Hubble telescope flying through the uh, the Milky Way's uh, star nursery, they call it. Um, it's just a beautiful uh, compilation of different images taken by Hubble going down into the center of this, you know, area where stars are born. And... Uh, you'll find it quite uh, beautiful to watch. Fantastic. Another yeah. mystery? Okay, how, how long are we waiting for time? we got 30 seconds. Okay, are we about out of time? Uh, yeah. yeah, we are. We, we are. are. But it is fascinating. It went by fast. Um, well, sports fans. <laughs> there you go. The real Indiana Jones, by the way. The real Indiana Jones, uh, Standeo, standeo.com. Wow, visit his website, and of course, uh, to take a lot of pictures. And uh, oh, we'll do. We'll do. You, you know, but you're going to be back on uh, before that. But my goodness, interesting travels for sure. Man. Yeah, man. I've got to go now. It's time to uh, <laughs> dig hole. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, you need that. You're in the wrong place, in my view. But uh, that's all right. No, Thanks, it's uh, thank you, brother. It's a good job. Very, all right, man. Our love to Holly and the and the and the fur babies there. Uh, Standeo from Standeo.com, folks. Visit his website, bookmark his website, check it out every day that the headlines yeah. and, and such. Yeah, full news. Yeah. All yeah, right. And each Tuesday on the Hagman report with yeah. us. So, all right, we'll be back tomorrow. It was a great show. Until then, stay safe. God bless. Uh, Have a great bless evening. Everyone.